Welcome to Emil Franzink's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. We are live from the Western Riders of America Convention here in Tucson, Arizona. Hi there, Harry Alexander with you. And over on the other side of the uh, table, as it were, is Bunker de France and Doug Hawking. And uh, we're going to talk with Doug here. He's got a panel coming up. He's Western Riders of America uh, author as well. Uh, we're going to be talking about some of the activities coming up. And Doug, you've got a panel coming up uh, at 3.45 this afternoon called Tombstone in History and Legend. What's that all about? Well, uh, you look back on Tombstone, its history uh, is absolutely legendary. I mean, it starts with strange things. You realize that this was once the largest town between St. Louis and San Francisco? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, they, yeah, it, <laughs> it was. And, and, I mean, they had uh, all kinds of culture there, uh, bowling alley. Um, Fancy food. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> Fresh seafood. Yeah. Yeah, they, they brought in oysters under ice, so you, you know, it's like... Exactly. Delmonico's, yeah. 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 In yeah. fact, I think they had a Delmonico's. Yeah. <laughs> but you want to mention your other panel members? Oh, yeah. we got Rod Timonis, yeah. who um, is, he plays a bad boy in all the street shows in Tombstone and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. In he real does life. the stunt show shoot em ups. In real, in real life, he's a bad boy, too. And he, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> <clears throat> we don't want to. Band-aids and all. We don't yeah. talk about that. <laughs> you know, and um, he has learned a lot about the real history mm-hmm. of Tombstone from doing the pretend history. I'll bet. I'll bet. And then yeah. we got Sherry Monahan. Mm-hmm. Sherry, the first time I met Sherry, I, I annoyed her thoroughly. Oh, you're the cookbook lady. <laughs> <laughs> Well, she wrote a book of Taste of Tombstone. Come I know. on. Come on, yeah. <laughs> and you think it hasn't got recipes yeah. in it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. All those fancy recipes from back in the 1880s. Right. I've got an old Nebraska cookbook from the Cowbells of Nebraska, and it is phenomenal. It's like how to cook possum. I mean, anything that, <laughs> anything that moved was edible. And they had recipes, and the recipes wasn't for, like, mom and dad mm. it was like for 20 30 40 people sometimes <laughs> yeah. yeah roadkill cafe uh, and that's still legal in this state isn't it i think so yeah, yeah. i know in texas it is yeah. <laughs> so uh, she you know brings in that whole side of of, of tombstone culture mm-hmm. some of what the real tombstone was like and then we've got um, yeah <laughs> it's uh, victoria wilcox She's not coming. Okay. <laughs> she called me a couple of days ago. Okay. And um, something got come up. She had to wash her hair or something. Ah, uh, yes. I've been. This, this is a good chance for me to bring up one of my pet peeves uh, about the movies when they're doing, especially like Tombstone, which is a mining town. Well, they got Tombstone like it's a quiet, sleepy cowboy right. town. Yeah. It was 24 hours. Mm-hmm. There was Teamsters moving constantly because they were moving ore out. They were bringing goods in. There were, the miners were on shifts because they were running 24 hours. 
I mean, the bars are full of people, but you you look over the movies and it, it's like it's like a ghost town at night. Yeah, yeah. And, and the only activity happens when it's uh, the four uh, four of them walking to the OK Corral. Uh, that's the only activity in town, <laughs> which is up the street. You, you, you got, got Henry Fonda bringing in a cattle cattle herd yeah. from the big cattle drive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It gets pretty strange. Sometimes uh, it goes to Monument Valley. <laughs> well, you knew that the stagecoach from but Tucson yeah, <coughs> right through Monument Valley. Actually, actually, it was uh, construction in the Arizona Territory <laughs> that thwarted them to go the direct route, so they had to do the securitist route. <laughs> you know what interesting story? I don't know what picture this was, but they were shooting up in, in Monument Valley, and Bear Hudkins, one of the great, the godfather of the stuntmen, he's up there. And they're doing some stunts, and he does the stunt, and hurt his back pretty bad. So he's laying there, and they come up, and they go, Bear, Bear, are you all right? And Bear goes, which state am I in? <laughs> You're in Utah. He says, carry me over to the Arizona side. The workman's comp is better. Yeah. There you go. And they changed the workman. They, had, they created the Hutkins Act, which changed the Arizona nice. compensation law. All right, well, let's get got Bill Markley. Okay, go, yeah, finish up. Or please. Markley, as he changed his name to for the, uh, the uh, Will Rogers Medallion Award. Hasn't, They've got him down as Bill Merkley. Has an identity problem. I yeah, guess. I think so. I think Kellen did it to him, but that's I wouldn't another doubt story. that. But the two of them wrote a book <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yep. comparing White Earp and uh, and Bat Masterson, mm -hmm. and that that should be interesting. So he brings in, yeah. you know, that gunfighter side of mm -hmm. thing, the law and order yeah, side of yeah. thing. Uh, and some of the the real history, we hope, though, you've got two thoroughly opposed ideas of what Tombstone mm -hmm. history was. So which one is the legend and which one's real? Yeah. Yeah. When in doubt, print the legend. And finally, we've got <laughs> Jane Pinga, mm -hmm. who worked on two books for mm -hmm. uh, Arcadia on uh, photography. She is a fantastic author. Uh, we always loved her uh, to see her books and have her in the studio. I mean, she, just talk, talk, talk. I mean, it's great. So, all right, Doug, thank well, you. I'm relying on her. If I run out of words, I'll just turn to Jane. See, there you go. There you go. All right, Doug, Doug Hawking, uh, we're here at uh, the Western Riders of America uh, convention for 2019. Harry Alexander and Bunker de France. Let me tell you some of the other things that are going to be coming up today. Um, at 2.30, uh, there's a historical photography panel, The Agony and Ecstasy of Image Research and use in the publishing industry. Sounds pretty heavy duty, but uh, may not be. Uh, the moderator is Stuart Rosebrook from uh, Western um, True West Magazine. He will be uh, with us at the end of the month on the show. And also, uh, Bob Bozbell is on that panel. Bob is the publisher of True West Magazine. Chris Enns, Steve Friesen, and John Langelier. And we've had John on the show many, many time uh, to uh, talk about uh, Arizona film history and such. So that's coming up today. Then later on, after uh, the Tombstone in History and Legend panel, uh, we've got another one on Mission San Javier del Bac. And uh, that's going to be a really, really interesting, uh, interesting piece there or presentation about uh, the historic mission, followed uh, by a reception. It's a welcome reception, and that'll be sponsored by the University of 
of Arizona Press and True West Magazine. And then uh, music tonight and probably lots of bar action going on uh, tomorrow, uh, providing everybody gets up on time. Uh, there will be uh, uh, <laughs> breakfast and craft of writing roundtables. That's from 7.30 till 9 o'clock. You're in one of the tables, aren't you? I'll be sitting at one of the tables. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's going to be looking for you. <laughs> then uh, later on from 9 to noon, Old West Photos happening. Then a marketing saddle up and find your fans. That's a marketing panel. Um, and uh, Nancy Plain will be moderating that particular um, panel. Comic books coming up at uh, 10.30 tomorrow. And uh, Kellen Cutsforth is uh, going to be the moderator for that. Uh, by the he way, still reads them. He still reads them. And and we we love them too. In fact, you can also find some classic graphic novels. I like comic books. Uh, you find those on the Voices of the West website. Just uh, click on uh, the media tab, and uh, you'll see V O W, or you'll see Cowboy Comics actually. And uh, there's some Hoot Gibson up there, Rocky, Elaine, um, Hoppy. Mm -hmm. Buck Jones. I mean, it's a, a, a cavalcade of uh, stars. Friday coming up, uh, we've got the uh, editor-agent roundup happening. Chris Ans will be moderating that, and that's to uh, help you f help authors figure out how to get an agent and such. Uh, the keynote address coming up uh, on Friday morning at 10:15, and it's called the Big Tent: Why I Love Western Writers of America. And uh, Will Bagley will be talking about that uh, subject. Spur finalist and Hall of Fame luncheon happening at uh, 1130. you got to have a ticket for that. Later in the afternoon, out, yeah, probably, managing your creations is state planning for authors. Something people don't think about very much, but you should think about it. And uh, Candy Moulton will be moderating that. And... Uh, I will give a plug for a friend of mine and sponsor, uh, Ron Zach, who is an estate uh, lawyer, uh, elder lawyer, and they do estate planning and such. So, you know, if you're in Arizona, he might be the guy to talk to. And he'll send you wherever you need to go elsewhere in, in the country. Uh, coming up uh, in the afternoon, then on Friday, they've got a, a, a tour of old Tucson. There'll be a contest um, uh a costume contest and some script reading going on. Uh, then uh, some general tours out at Old Tucson, the famous music lo uh, movie location. Dinner at the High Chaparral House. Most excellent. Uh, maybe we'll find uh, Mono there and uh, uh, Buck. Are you going to play a part in the script reading? No. No. No, they're <laughs> doing something entirely different this year. What I am playing a part is on the tour guide on the bus going oh, out. Ah, there, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so essentially that's what we've got going on for uh, now at uh, until uh, Friday, and we'll get to the Saturday goodies later. Uh, but right now that's all there is to tell you here. So, Well, you know, yes. you mentioned the music at night. I did. And one of the singers is going to be Vaughn McKee. Well, and boy, can that girl wail. Hey. <laughs> wail. Wail first. Excellent. Excellent. You All hear right. that in the background? <laughs> <laughs> All right. That'll be it for this edition. We will be back throughout the day with many more updates. Until then, stay tuned. We'll be back soon. Here at the Western Riders of America Convention 2019, Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, and our guests... 
Vicki Rose. And Mickey Furman. Ladies, welcome. Thank First you. First time in Tucson? Yes. Nope. Not for me. Okay. It is for me. And what do you think so far? Hot? A beautiful town, beautiful town from Texas. I fit right in with where, the heat. Where about in Texas? Central Texas, close okay. to Austin. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've got relatives in El Paso. Well, yeah. It's, I know. We're it's, sorry it's, to hear it's that. It's closer to <laughs> yeah. California. El Paso is closer to California than it is to where I live. Uh, yeah. <laughs> El Paso is closer to we, anything. Yeah. <laughs> we write under pseudonyms. Okay. Because it's really, it's really difficult for women writers to sell Western. They usually always use their initials or they use a male name. Why is that? Um, A man will buy a book written by another man, but he won't, he doesn't really like to buy a book written by a woman. And a woman will buy a book written by anybody. Yeah. But that's that's just the way it is. I've accepted it. I go by. Easy Jackson. I went to Barber College with a, a big guy who walked real slow, and his nickname was Easy. And I was looking for something that was um, easy for people to remember. So that, I, that, that my, my editor said, "Are you sure you want to be called Easy Jackson?" And I went, "Yeah, sure. People will remember that." Hmm. So I also write under VJ Rose. Mm-hmm. But that's my story. I don't know what Mickey's I, story is. I actually is. have a different story. Mm-hmm. I, I have. Uh, I've spent a lifetime in the music business under my name, Mickey Furman. And when I started writing Western fiction, uh, just as a practicality matter, when people did a Google search, I didn't want them to run into all this music stuff. And so to direct readers to my material, I chose the name Vaughn McKee. And I hmm. write Westerns under Vaughn McKee. So. Mm-hmm. I, I, I guess I shouldn't be shocked because that's how corporate world is most of the time, but it, I mean, a book is a book regardless of mm-hmm. who writes it, I, I, did, I would think. I did choose the name Vaughn because it's androgynous. It yeah, could be yeah. either a girl right. or a guy. Yeah. Mickey, what's the focus of, of, of your particular writings? What do you like to write about in your fiction? I, I am not much of the traditional L'Amour mm-hmm. action-packed kind of Western uh, writer, I tend to to do family stories, kind of, kind of a little bit left to center. I've, I've written about a miner with schizophrenia, and uh, you know, a, a sawmill worker who has a crush on a woman, and you know, it's just kind of those other people who are in the almost story, a, the almost street. a little house on the prairie type of sometimes, yeah. You know. But but I do have some gunfighter things, and, and well, I'm, I'm not afraid to kill some people. I'm okay. Not. <laughs> And easy. Um, my editor likes me to kill as many people as I can in the book, but I'd like to concentrate because I'm a Texas author. I write about Texas. I like the period, like around 1874, because you can have stagecoaches and you can have trains. Mm-hmm. It was a transition period, mm-hmm. so you can have both. And you're still having cattle drives. And the cattle drives; mm-hmm. those are still going on. So that's a that's a good um, uh, age area to write about, and. Um, my mind just went blank on That's radio. Okay. That's really bad, isn't it? <laughs> Don't worry. When you reach my age, it'll happen frequently. Um, well. <laughs> titles of your books. A Bad Place to Die and A Season in Hell are uh, by Kensington Pinnacle. They are in Walmart, Barnes & Nobles. Uh, Testimony is a weird uh, modern-day Western. It's a little different. And Treasure Hunt in Thai Town is a more traditional Western, and they're, they are mostly in ebook form. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
the books that I write, I try to have a lot of action. I know that some people who read Westerns don't like to read Westerns by women because they say it's all romance, and then at the end of the book they might throw in one or two little Western things. And I try not to do that. Well, my editor, for one thing, won't let me do that. He doesn't like a lot of romance in Westerns. But weren't Westerns originally romance books, and I use that word loosely, books, uh, to attract the female reader, and then the guys started reading on them? It, it, didn't that how that all started out? Well, Zane Grey was a very romantic writer. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's, I read all of his books in my teens, and, and his stories almost always had a romance. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the Virginian the was, Virginia. was, was yeah. really was about like a romance. I was about that uh, when they advertised his books back in those days, they were advertised as romance westerns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know what the deal is. Your books? I have so far published only short fiction as mm -hmm. Vaughn McKee. Um, the Songbird of Seville was um, a Western Writers of America Spur finalist in 2015. And then I had one called The Gunfighter's Gift, which was a Western Fictioneers finalist uh, mm -hmm. that same year. This year I'm getting another Spur finalist award for a, a story called The called the Wren's Perch. Mm -hmm. And what about, are you still doing your music? I am. I just had a gig last night. You're town. Oh, you were out of Monterey Court with Carol? Yes, I was. Right. She's also a fantastic amateur actress. Oh, no. Yes, she is. <laughs> she did. We have I a presentation. <laughs> we have presentations a lot at Western Writers. And last year we did uh, the Jimmy Stewart and Henry Fonda movie. With, Cheyenne Social, uh, Cheyenne Social Club, oh, yeah. Club mm -hmm. and she was the madam, and let me tell you, she played a wonderful <laughs> madam. She had me totally convinced. Uh, okay. <laughs> well. What, uh, uh, not the style, do you have any CDs with you? or? or uh, I didn't bring a single CD. Okay. I know, it was poor promotion on my part. Well, that's all right. uh, I really, can, can we, where, I really can we, came. Where can we find your music? Uh, well, Mickey Furman, and that's M I C K I F U H R M A N music.com. Okay. Mickey Furman music.com. And of course, all the writing stuff's at Von McKee, V O N N M C K E E.com. So, you know, pick your pleasure. Yodel. Funny you should ask. For the stage presentation this year, I have to do a, a brief yodel, and I have never been called upon to yodel, so I've been practicing in the car. You want, you want to, uh, I'm, no, you want to I, I'm, it's shot? not ready yet. It's okay. not ready yet. You know what? Your your altitude and your lack of humidity is definitely affecting the yodel. I can I understand that, yeah. <laughs> if you have a minute later on, I'll give you the beginner's lesson for I yodeling. Will, I will gladly take that. I'll tell you, I, can give you, I can give you the beginner's lesson for yodeling right now. Are you sure it's you real easy. Just remember this. I owe the old lady O. In other words, go out and borrow five dollars from her, and then whenever you want to yodel, you just go, "I owe the old lady O." Okay. Did he, did he call me an old lady? <laughs> no, no, I just used you because you were there. Because you're definitely a young, charming young lady. Would you like to be my yodeling stunt double, Friday? See, be a first for him. What was that? Be your, be her yodeling stunt double. I can do that. We'll just, I'll just stand behind the screen right. and, and I'll go, Hi, old, old lady, <laughs> And he will, too. Wonderful. Thank you. That's good to know. <laughs> Ladies, thank you so much for oh, being with us. Oh, thank you for having Thanks us. We really loved it. Thank good you. Good to see you again, Mary.
Franzi's Voices of the West will be right back. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields, and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movies Outs podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movies Outs podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. We also play games like the Alexa quote of the show and may the odds be ever in your favor and have a from the cutting room floor segment that is an open forum to discuss anything from our thoughts of a Netflix TV series to our experiences with movie subscriptions such as the AMC Stubbs or MoviePass. So, after finishing this podcast, please give the Movies Out podcast a listen. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Simply search Movies Out. Until then, and that's a wrap. Read classic Western comics anytime at VoicesOfTheWest.net. The cowboy and the lady met there on the prairie that was painted by the West. Welcome back to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Howdy, we're back on uh, the Voices of the West. We're at the Western Riders of America Convention 2019 here in Tucson. I'm Harry Alexander, Bunker de France over there in the hat. And we have Matthew Kearns, is it? That's it. Kearns. And you're an author. This must be your first one, right? Yes. (laughs) Your first first convention? First, first. First foray into this world. Yeah. Excellent. Let's talk about your books. Okay. What, what sorts of, uh, what, how many have you got? Uh, just the one. Um, I, uh, my, the origin of my book was I was sitting around a fire with my dad one night, which is probably the best way for Ooh, stories yeah. to be spread. Sure. But one of the things we were talking about is uh, if you could imagine yourself as a, 
inhabitant of, say, New York City in about 1874, mm -hmm. uh, you could have gone down to Broadway and you could have seen on Broadway uh, Buffalo Bill Cody, Wild Bill Hickok, mm -hmm. and Texas Jack Omahundra mm -hmm. in a play together. And yeah. you just think, you know, what if we had been able to record those guys? How, how you know, and thrilling I, would that be to be able to watch it now? Uh, so I thought, well, somebody ought to, you know, write a book about That's this. That's a great idea. Uh, awesome. And then I realized someone already had, which uh, Johnny Boggs wrote, uh, well, he's uh, about East of the Border, right? <laughs> still, still in our thunder before we even had the ideas. Yeah. Uh, but before I realized he had written it, I'd already started doing some research. And the, I, the thought occurred to me, if you know anything about the West, you know who Buffalo Bill Cody is. Right. If you know anything about the West, and maybe even if you don't, you know who Wild Bill Hickok is. You should, yes. But who's Texas Jack Omahundro? Well, now. So I, mean, I started now. researching. I realized that there was a book that had been written and published about him in the 50s, um, but that it wasn't very complete. It was good for its time, but not very complete, and it was far from the from the real story. And how many people even remember the 50s? Exactly, yeah. And it was a single printing on a small press. Mm -hmm. um, so I uh, kept reading and kept researching, uh, found a lot of you know newspaper articles that were available then and are now, tracked down some uh, kind of very unique uh, letters that were written from point A to B, and oh. have written a biography of Texas Jack uh, from the standpoint of that if you know anything about uh, Buffalo Bill, he's probably more than anyone responsible for the way we view the West. Yeah. He yeah. framed the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but if you think of Buffalo Bill's Wild West show, the culminating act... It's Buffalo Bill's Wild West. Wild West. It's not a yeah. show. Right? <laughs> because it was educational. It wasn't entertainment. And he didn't use that word. Right. Which I thought it was really unique. Yeah. Yeah. He was uh, very adamant that he was educating people. He wasn't just an entertainer. He was bringing them to history. Right. He was showing them the truth. Um, and because he said that so often, we tend to believe it. Mm -hmm. um, but it, his, his act for years culminated with an attack on the settler's cabin mm -hmm. uh, and and you know the the Sioux that were in his show are attacking a, a white family in the mm -hmm. settler's cabin mm -hmm. and who comes to the rescue yep. but Buffalo Bill Cody and the cowboys <laughs> well now Buffalo Bill as if you know anything about him he wasn't a cowboy he owned a ranch later but that wasn't his background Texas Jack his best friend uh, from about the years 1869 to 1876 or so his trail partner, his stage partner, was a cowboy. Mm -hmm. And in, in, in many ways, what Buffalo Bill told us and wanted us to believe about cowboys were, were true facts about his friend, mm -hmm. Texas Jack, mm -hmm. that we've largely forgotten because no one was there to remind us. So I've kind of taken that as my personal duty, as uh, reminding people why old uh, Mr. Omahundro was important. Well, and you know, that is important because one of the things is that the word cowboy wasn't even being used then. If it was, it was a bad word. It was a derogatory, yeah, because yeah, yeah. that was that was a squirt's job. That's it. But one of the things that, like you mentioned, is so many of these guys that we think of and are portrayed in the novels and the movies, television, as cowboys, weren't. Right. You know, if you look at Wyatt Earp, he was never a cowboy. He was right. a buffalo hunter. He was a freighter. But he was never a cowboy. Sure. Right. right. Well, and the cowboy became the stand-in for, for all of our 
kind of ide- best ideals of, of ourselves as a yeah. culture. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and specifically, I think the biggest impact that that had is that when I was a kid, and I'm from Chattanooga, Tennessee, you mm-hmm. know, southeast as you can get. Uh, but we grew up playing cowboys and sure. Indians. Uh, you know. And we believed that, that, in truth, out west, all of the time, groups of cowboys and groups of Indians went a-shooting at each other. <laughs> now, the reality, if you study history, is that that very rarely happened. Cowboys, by, by the time that we think of as the height of cowboy, uh, the cowboy as, a, as an ideal, uh, 1860s and 1870s, the, the native populations of the of that area had been largely decimated or put on a reservation. Mm-hmm. Mostly wars were right, and then once you know it, the, when the cowboys were leading uh, herds from Texas up into Kansas across mm-hmm. the Indian Territory of later Oklahoma, um, they paid for their transit. That's right. You know, uh, and I, you don't run cattle fast and hard; you run no. them slow. <laughs> you get there; they're fatter than when they. That's it. I'll give you a story here about the uh, how people perceive the West. My grandmother came to visit Tucson in 1962, and uh, she had she came from Chicago, um, and so she took the train. My brother and I went to pick her up at the train station, and so uh, she's enjoying the scenery and stuff. And we're driving home, and my brother points to the Catalina Mountains, the northern northern mountain range here, and says, "Now, watch those mountains." We want to make sure that no Indians come come across those. And she was, a, oh, my, my, my. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, we, we sort of got in trouble <laughs> with our mother after, for doing that. But that's exactly what you're saying. Right. Well, we, we have these cultural <laughs> memories that are amalgamations of different yeah. events yeah. that happen in different places. And for, for me, the kind of thing that brought my whole project together is when I realized that there was a moment in 1872 uh, and this is at Fort McPherson near North Platte, mm-hmm. Nebraska. Um, a group of uh, Minneconju Sioux came and stole some horses from the telegraph station mm-hmm. nearest to the fort. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, right, and this happened quite a bit. They stole uh, these horses. They ran them north towards safety. And so the Army, you know, doesn't want their horses stolen, clearly. Yeah. So they send out a, a, a military group. Uh, with uh, Buffalo Bill as their scout, which was his job. Buffalo Bill immediately calls on his friend Texas Jack and says, mm-hmm. help me mm-hmm. track down these uh, these Sioux and get our horses back. So you, you can trace this single event where these two guys go out, the scout and the cowboy with, with this uh, uh, group of, of uh, army men after these Sioux, and when they get there, they, they separate their forces and try to surround them. Mm-hmm. They get into a skirmish. Buffalo Bill uh, shoots one of the Sioux that has, you know, that's aiming at him, uh, and just as he as he kind of moves on to his next target, he feels a, a, that blinding flash of pain mm. and red across his face. Mm-hmm. He realizes he's been shot. The bullet's grazed his scalp. So he looks towards where he thinks the shot's coming from and sees the man fall dead, follows that line and sees Texas Jack mm. has just shot him. So there's a real event where nice. this man who's going to come along later mm-hmm. and tell us the cowboy's the hero. Yeah. He's the, he's the one that's right into the rescue where his life is saved by his real cowboy friend. Excellent. There's a there's an origin to these yeah. cultural yeah. memories. We've just forgotten something. Excellent. Name of the book again is Uh well that's a good question I think. Okay. Well, it's largely becomes up to the publishers <laughs> All right. once once they're Any idea when it might be coming out? Oh, I would love to say next year, but okay. we'll, we'll 
I want right. to do it right more than I want to do it fast. I understand. Matthew, thank you so much thank so much for joining much, us. Uh, we we appreciate pleasure, I appreciate you. Uh, well, one more question from Bunker. Yeah. yeah. One and more. I appreciate your knowledge. Oh, thank you. It's always good to hear someone speak knowledgeably. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. that's the plan. Yeah. Howdy. We're back on uh, Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Uh, R.G. Yoho is with us, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, I'm not sure what. Bunker, take it away. Well, oh, well, Bob, introduce yourself. Well, I'm R.G. Yoho. I'm... Uh, I'm not from around these parts. <laughs> and, I never could tell. Uh, I was born in West Virginia. Okay. But I, we won't hold that against you. Okay. <laughs> well, Randolph Scott was a Virginia boy. Was he anywhere from near you? I don't. Th- I don't think so. Uh, there's for you though. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a couple of years. <laughs> so obviously you're a member of the Western Riders of America. You're here for the convention. What's going on? Well, I I published. Uh, several uh westerns i've i published 11 books uh seven westerns most of them traditional westerns uh i've also done some uh, more or less a historical fiction book i'm currently working on a uh actually bi- a biography which would be my first semi-scholarly work and mm-hmm. nobody's ever confused me with a scholar so <laughs> uh, so, so i'm i'm g- breaking in some new ground here. all right you know what i'll tell you what You'd probably be better than the scholars because the scholars get a little too, too scholarly. Yeah, it's scholarly. <laughs> they yeah. do that. They do that sort of thing. So, uh, titles of books. Uh, probably the first. I've written a series. Uh, the first book would be called "Death Comes Red Hawk." The sequel that was "Death Rides the Rail." Uh, third book was uh, "Nightfall Over Nicodemus," and the fourth one was "The Evil Day." And the, and the fifth one is Paulo Duro. Mm-hmm. And what about the um, the uh, historical fiction? Well, the historical fiction actually involves the coal mine wars in West Virginia ah. in the, in the early 1920s, late mm-hmm. uh, late 19, early 1900s into 1920. Uh, the the actually the man I'm researching right now is named Charles Everett Lively. He's mentioned in every book about the coal mine wars th- yeah. that you can find. But he's never specifically been written about. There's never been a biography written of Charles Everett Lively that I know of. Is this? Does it take place in that section? And, and I'm not sure if I'm remembering this right. It, it goes over a, a, a gorge. Uh, there was a huge cat, uh, cattle, huge coal um, area, and a small town developed. Oh God, if I can remember the name of it now, but uh, it brought the rail he brought the railroad in and built a giant coal chute that still exists today, but not in use. I'm not uh, specifically sure about that okay. incident. Most of mine in, involves around uh, a group called the Baldwin Fells Detective Agency, which okay. which were contemporaries of the Pinkertons, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and Charles Everett Lively was a. a purported coal miner but he was also a spy for the detective agency mm-hmm. and he was he was undercover for years there I, best i can tell he first went he went west and he was in uh he was in walsenburg colorado in Levita area uh 1914 in 1914 he actually shot a man to death in, in uh, colorado mm-hmm. and spent 16 months in jail uh under a sheriff named Jefferson Farr, mm. who was pretty corrupt, mm-hmm. and 
they kept him in jail, and Albert Feltz, who was the uh, regional manager for uh, Baldwin Feltz at the time, he was paying the sheriff to keep him in jail, so when they'd arrest minors, Charles <laughs> Lively'd pump them for information, yeah. feed it out through the sheriff. Nice. Sure. Nice. Well, this, uh, this was also during the Wobbly periods, too. Yes. Yeah. Yes, right around there, too. Yeah. Along with the man named Swan Olini killed in April 1914, which was just leading up to the events that led mm -hmm. to the Lolo Massacre, uh, Charles Lively came back to West Virginia. He shot two people to death on the courthouse steps in oh. Welch, West Virginia, on August 1st, 1921. Where can people find your books? Uh, most of them are right on Amazon. You could go to my website. My website needs a little work, by the way, but it's rgoho.com. But okay. uh, they're on Amazon, and you can find my work. And uh, it, uh, I, if you like Louis L'Amour type books, I would think you would like mine. Excellent. Very well. All right, Archie, thank you so much for thank being with us uh, for this a brief time. We'll Thanks. be back with much more as we continue with our reports here from the Western Riders of America Convention. Howdy again from the 2019 Western Riders of America Convention. I'm Harry Alexander, Bunker to France on the other side. In the middle is the president of the Western Riders of America, Nancy Plain. Nancy. And congratulations. Yeah. Thank you very new, much. New job, is it? It's a new job. You it's didn't a step great back fast job. enough. <laughs> That's right, right. I do the short straw. Only kidding. I'm loving it. I'm just loving it. Um, and it's fun to talk to you, Harry, and Bunker. And I remember doing a fun interview with Emil mm -hmm. back in 2014. And it's good to be back on air with you. And I don't know. It's it's shaping up to be an amazing convention here yeah. in Tucson. I, know, I just want to say, just just my personal opinion is, you don't work your way up to becoming president of an organization like this without a lot of hard work, dedication, mm -hmm. and support of, the, of your fellow writers because they want the best representing them. So that's that's a heck of a compliment. Well, thanks, Bunker. It's, it's really all about this organization. Western Writers of America is the friendliest, yeah. kindest, most fun group I've ever been a part of. And I'm just honored. Uh, first of all, I was just thrilled to join. I joined in 2008 mm -hmm. um, and haven't missed a convention since, <laughs> and I will not miss a convention. Yeah. It's just the high point of the year for a lot of us. And are, are you also an author? I am. I've written um, 11 books. I'm working on my 12th, and uh, don't hold your breath for me to get it done yet because I'm still researching. Okay. But I've written on Charlie Russell and... Solomon Butcher, the Nebraska photographer. My heroes. Oh, yeah, they're great. And Remington. And um, my last book was on the bird artist, John James Audubon, oh, who, believe it or not, went up the Mississippi, no, the Missouri mm -hmm. in a steamboat in 1843. Yes, so, he did. So part of his life was Western, most of it not, but he was an explorer. You're also and, an award winner, right? Well, I am. I've been very lucky in that. Um, I've won four spurs, and it's just to just to be part of this organization and to 
have anyone like your work is, mm-hmm. is the thrill of a lifetime. It, it's really changed my life, this organization. That is cool. More fun than a sack full of squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Right, Convention right. next year or is in... Or a New Jersey pizza. <laughs> well, I'm from New go. Jersey. Yeah, okay, well, yeah. uh, now we can make all kinds of jokes. I, uh, go at it. <laughs> uh, no, I'll, I'll be nice. Um, the convention is going to be in South Dakota next year. It's going to be in Rapid City, and and you know when when the board is talking about activities for Rapid City, we're thinking we have more great things to do than we even have time to plan. <laughs> um, there's a lot of fabulous Western history, mm-hmm. a lot of Lakota history. Mm-hmm. Um, Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, that's where Dances with Wolves mm-hmm. was filmed. Mm-hmm. All kinds of cool the stuff. The Lakota people. Oh, we're yeah, we're hoping to have some Lakota presentations and yeah, one of one know. of the writers, I think it was Bill Markley, posted because uh, mm-hmm. he's from South Dakota. I think it was him who posted this on Facebook. This really cool winding road that uh, he's. It's, I got the gist of the saying. You got to go on this. It's not a roller coaster road, but it's a very securitous type of uh, uh, country road. Yeah, country road, I guess. Kind. In, in yeah. South Dakota. In South Dakota, yeah. Well, I want to go on. Yeah, I know. I, look, I'm going I, I, Like I said, I think it was Markley. You'd have to ask him. But, it probably was. Um, yeah. Way cool photo. You yeah. know, I, I've got a feeling that the South Dakota roads were kind of like the old country roads in New Mexico. You 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 could drive down the road. Which is the unpaved road, about 40, 50 miles an hour, because they were pretty good condition. Yeah. But about every mile or mile and a half, there'd be a great big dip. <laughs> and so you'd end up airborne if you were flying too fast. Could be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe some of those old roads started out as Indian trails. You never know. But uh, um, Bill Bill lives in Pierre, so yeah. he, he really knows South Dakota. Yeah, yeah. And he's going to give us some good ideas of what to do. And I'm going to take a few extra days and, and oh, just yeah. tour. I, you know, I've never no, seen no. Mount Rushmore. I've never. There's a lot I want to see there. Oh, there's so it's much a great to see location. There Sand Hills. And... Right. Right. Yeah. I so did a book about um, the Nebraska pioneers, and, mm-hmm. and when you mentioned sand hills, that I, I think of that, and I don't know, I just, I, I love the West, um, I love the Great Plains, I love the mountains, it's well, you know, beautiful. So many Easterners uh, love the West when they come to visit, and, and I mean, our show has the reach around the world, honestly. Um, we have listeners in New Zealand, mm-hmm. we have listeners in Iceland. Uh, England and Germany. We had on an author from uh, Gary Merrill. I want to say his name is, but I'm not po- Gary. I'm positive is the first one, first name um, from Wales, wow. and he found the show via podcast and made contact. And I said, "Great, let's have you on the show Why because not? he writes Western fiction in England." You know. You- That's a great opportunity for me to segue into what we're kind of about. Okay. Because, you know, we haven't talked about that while we've been doing this, or we don't, and and when we do our show, we don't talk about it. We don't toot our own horn. (laughs) Well, go ahead and toot. Well, generally, the last Saturday is always a Western movies or something Mm -hmm. to do with Western radio, but it's always the West in entertainment. We we try as much as we can to get a writer on you guys have been a fantastic oh, yeah. source for us and one, and one of our best most of our best shows 
Uh, then we do. Well, Western you know, we're Union. grateful for that, that that you have us on. It's yeah. it's really fun. Well, for it's us. important to continue we the. Be on every time if yeah. we could. It's okay. it's important to continue the legacy of the West. Yeah. And yeah. we're also continuing the legacy of Emil Franzi. Yeah. So. Oh, he, I had know. dinner with him at Highfalutin. Mm -hmm. That's a good restaurant. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. we do we do try to do Western history, Western yeah. music, cowboy poetry, and we but we keep it Western, not country. Right. You know it's. We do modern West, but we've done. We did show on the Teamsters. We did a show mm -hmm. on the Irish mm -hmm. in Arizona. Uh, we did John Wayne, his movies, and, and his ranching in Arizona, which is a heritage people don't know about. Right. Yeah. We try. It's us. Yeah. We try and find those little things that we find interesting, and if we find them interesting, we think everybody else will find them interesting. Well, we intruded upon Well, you know, uh, and, and sometimes it's hard to find the folks to talk intelligently about a particular topic uh, from the West. I mean, he knows a bunch. Oh, and I watched all his shows yeah, growing uh, up. I, I know some, but yeah. I don't think, I don't know everything or anything that I think I, or everything that I think I know. And, and so... For example, common day in the Old West. Mm -hmm. In the you're a townie. You wake up. What do you do? I mean, you know, we want to chronicle that kind of a thing because mm -hmm. it's possible that a day back then is just like a day today. But obviously, the conveniences that we have were not there. You know. I know. That makes me think of um, when I did the book on Solomon Butcher, um, the Nebraska pioneer, he, he went around the Great Plains. Well, pretty much just Nebraska, but he hated farming. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to be a sodbuster, mm -hmm. and this was in the 1880s and, and a couple of decades on. So he hooked up a dark room in his horse and buggy mm -hmm. and drove Forever. and around the Great Plains photographing his neighbors. And when you talk about everyday life, you can see in Butcher's pictures, the women are all dressed up and mm -hmm. you know they're wearing the corset. Mm -hmm. and they're all, and they're just- As they should be. As they should be. And can you imagine how comfortable in the heat? Oh, and, and the they're layers. Just, and it just, you realize how hard their life was. Sure. They, everything they do, they had to, get well water, no showers. And the, the perfect movie that explains that is Westward the Women. William Wellman. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, the perfect movie to explain the hardships of the, the pioneering. Well, you know, this yeah. is one of the neat things that the writers of the Western, Western America does. They, when they write these historical pieces, you know, like if they're writing about which everybody seems to do because it's marketable, Wyatt or Buffalo, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all yeah, the big names. Yeah. They don't just dwell on it. They go into the backstories, yeah. into the people that were around them, yeah. what the other people did, not just what Buffalo Bill did or Billy yeah. the Kid did, but what, you know, Joe Schmo, what he did. And right. it's that, like mm -hmm. you just said, it's like, what does a person do when they get up in the morning? Well, it depends on who you are, what you're doing, what your occupation is, you know, your age. You know, if you're a kid out on a ranch kid out there in the middle of nowhere, mm -hmm. and you're you're around eight or nine, you're probably out there on horseback or you're fishing or something like that. But if you're 12, you're doing chores and you're working. Oh, yep. for sure. And you know, the, when when I researched this book on Solomon Butcher. 
really the most fun of it was reading the memoirs. Oh, and I'll tell you, you want to hear yeah. some stories? Yeah. So there was one, one. well, this was written by a, a man when he was older, and he was looking back on his childhood. Mm-hmm. He said, and he lived in a little sod house with his family, and he walked into his to see, I, for some reason, I don't know where he was coming from, but he was looking at his sister asleep in bed, mm-hmm. and he saw that there was a huge rattlesnake curled oh. up around her, uh, you know, on uh-huh, her neck, just uh-huh. because they would drop through the ceiling, yep. and they would just come yeah. in, because yeah, yeah. it was a sod house. Sure. And he froze. Then his mother walked up, and she saw that he had frozen in his tracks, and she saw the rattlesnake, and they both froze. And I don't know how long they, they, because they were afraid to move and scare the snake. (laughs) And here's his sister sleeping soundly through this. Finally, the snake just (laughs) uncoils and slithers through a hole in the sod house wall. Mosey's on. (laughs) And you you read just harrowing stories. Sure. Children falling down wells that that abandoned wells that no one had capped. But then... the interesting thing is that, you know, you can look at the hardships of their life and you can think, oh, how horrible, you know, how, how just, but torture. One woman said, life is too short to live in a Saudi. Mm. But then I read a memoir um, of a woman who was looking back on her childhood and it, it, it almost, it brings tears to your eyes because she said, don't think our life was all hardship. No. We had... The whole land in, in front of us. Yeah. We had the wildflowers. Right. We had the meadowlarks. We mm-hmm. had the freedom the of our ponies. Yeah. Yeah. We would just take off on our ponies. And then she goes into this description. She said it was a beautiful land. Your books are available at? Well, my publisher is University of Nebraska Press, okay. um, who is just a fabulous publisher and they're available on Amazon and also on the University of Nebraska Press website and they are just a joy to work with. Nancy Plain, president of the Western Writers of America, they're holding their convention in Tucson this year and uh, so uh, we're happy to have you. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hello again from Voices of the West at the Western Writers of America Convention 2019 here in Tucson, Arizona. I'm Harry Alexander. With me is Forrest Dunning from Sheridan, Wyoming. And you, what do you do? What do I do? Well, I'm a writer. Okay. Uh, I'm in the at the end of a. Uh, you know, of a misbegotten career. I can't, uh, you know, I've done everything from being uh, uh, a rancher, a cowboy, a stockbroker, a soldier, um, retired uh, lieutenant colonel, um, been to Vietnam. I've uh, done a lot of stuff, and now I'm just writing, retired and writing. Retired and writing, and uh, the focus of your uh, your books. All of my fiction, nonfiction. I do both. Uh, I, I I like uh, nonfiction and historical fiction. Mm-hmm. All of my books are uh, talk about or are based in uh, northern Wyoming, southern Montana, uh, in the proximity of the Northern Cheyenne Indian Reservation. I was raised there. Uh, my my great grandfather brought the Circle Bar cattle herd into. Otter Creek, Montana in 1884, and my family goes back Mm -hmm. five generations. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
at the end of a, of a checkered career, I, uh, <laughs> I, I decided that uh, there, there were a lot of stories that I heard when I was growing up mm -hmm. that weren't written down anywhere, and I decided, well, I'll, I'll be the guy that writes them. That is cool. Where can we find your books? And give us some titles. Of, of which uh, I have two books out so far. One is Between Two Tribes, mm -hmm. which is uh, which is a, a historical fiction book. The only reason it's fiction is because I've added conversation, mm -hmm. uh, and it's set uh, in the events that took place took place 118 years ago. So. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't uh, can't verify a whole lot. Can't verify can't verify a conversation that you know that was that old. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's about uh, uh, it's about a uh, mixed blood interpreter mm -hmm. uh, that really lived. His name was Willis Rowland. Mm -hmm. He is the uh, main guy, and it's a story primarily about uh, the interaction between. The Northern Cheyenne tribe and members of the Northern Cheyenne tribe, and uh, their neighboring ranchers, mm -hmm. during the period uh, the summer of 1890. At that point in time, uh, the Northern Cheyennes were starving. Uh, when they initially surrendered, they'd been all split up. They were some in Oklahoma, there were some in South Dakota, there were some in uh, with the Arapahoes and Wind River. There were some with General Miles at Miles City, Montana. And when General Miles got this Northern Cheyenne Indian Reservation established, the Cheyenne started to come back to their home reservation, but they didn't tell mm -hmm. the uh, Indian agents that they were leaving. <laughs> so uh, They were accused of running, right? Well, part of them were, and part yeah. of them did. Yeah. Uh, but uh, most of them came back in a family at a time, and uh, the Indian agent uh, at Lame Deer had no idea how many people were on his reservation and had no way of, uh, of ordering rations for him. Yeah, right. So the Indians were starving, or the Cheyennes were starving, and uh, they went off and started killing the settlers' cattle because they were their families it's needed something to eat. Yeah, that's what you do. And uh, if the uh, if a party of Cheyennes uh, were found killing a beef, the odds are they would kill the rancher. Where can we find your books? My books are on Amazon. Uh, there are two of them. There's Between Two Tribes, which is, like I said, is about this 1890 mm -hmm. incident, uh, or summer. And then the second book is uh, Slaughter on the Otter, mm -hmm. which is the story of Montana's largest sheep raid, mm. which was honchoed mm -hmm. by uh, a, by a man named John B. Kendrick, who was one of the largest cattlemen in the state of Wyoming and Montana, mm. versus the largest sheep man in oh. the state of Montana. Uh, uh -huh. So and don't give away any endings. I won't <laughs> give away any Indian any Indians any endings. <laughs> Uh, but it, but John B. Kendrick went on to become the governor of the state of Wyoming, mm -hmm. and uh, a three-time U.S. senator. Mm -hmm. uh, That'll give us an idea of how it may have ended. <laughs> yes, well, but the idea is is that he did not want it published, mm -hmm. and consequently, it was only known among the people that lived around the area, uh -huh. and. Uh, 
I heard the story from an original participant mm -hmm. when I was nine years old and never forgot it. And then uh, I decided to research it, uh, bring it to light, and uh, we did it. And Excellent. so, Excellent. So, Forrest, thank you much for being with us you this bet. morning. It's been a pleasure. You bet. Thank you. Fonzie's Voices of the West will be right back. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Polash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Polash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. Contact the Polash Management Company today at polashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Polash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online back Backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats, but did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right, it's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. Hi there, my little friends. If you were playing baseball and the baseball was knocked across a railroad track, I'm pretty sure when you got to that railroad track, you'd stop, look, and listen, wouldn't you? Now, please remember that any street in America is just as dangerous as that railroad. So when you get to the curbstone, stop, look, and listen. Will you do that for me? Now, so long until next week, and in the meantime, don't forget to go to Sunday school.
Welcome back to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Hi there again. We are back at the Western Riders of America convention. I'm Harry Alexander. This is day two, a convention being held in Tucson, and Bunker de France is on the other side there. In the middle, Eric Red, and your tag says Los Angeles, California. Something tells me you got something to do with the pictures. I do. He just told you. Harry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm a I'm a screenwriter and a director, and I've um, made westerns. Excellent. Uh, made a western called The Last Outlaw uh, for HBO with uh, Mickey Rourke and Steve Buscemi and Ted Levine, and we shot it down in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. It was an action western. Made it, um, and uh, it was a great experience. There's no better experience than working on a western. Well, it's real filmmaking. You know, I mean, it's it's just you're out there with the cameras and the horses and the stunt guys and the actors and the locations. And the weather. And the weather. And the weather, yeah. Oh, so did you get any of the famous uh, Santa Fe flash floods? No, we didn't get the flash floods, but we got windstorms. Uh, we were filming in a gypsum mine uh, oh. that was north of... Uh, I, th- I think it was just north of Albuquerque, and it was all this white powder. Just and we had to wear dusty. masks and stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> Did you shoot in any of the location ranches there? We shot primarily in Albuquerque. Okay. We primarily shot around Santa Fe. Yeah, I worked um, up at Albuquerque on Bearcats. That's a great location. Beautiful, and uh, it's all Indian land. Yeah, you know, you're you're basically going in with each with each one of these places. You're making deals with the mm-hmm. different. So, are are you a member of the Western Riders? I sure am, a proud member. And uh, DGA, member of the DGA. Green Riders, member of the WGA. Union man. I'm a union man. There you, know? you go. <laughs> what, what what can you say? So, uh, have you written any other? Uh, what other westerns have you have you done? Well, um, two years ago, I started writing a series of Western novels for uh, Kensington mm-hmm. Publishing Corporation about a bounty hunter in 1800s Wyoming named uh, Joe Noose. Mm-hmm. The first book was called Noose, and the second one was called Hang Fire. And uh, it was all there, it's all set in the Grand Tetons, yeah. the Jackson Hole, Victor area up there, and it's partially a, a kind of, I'm a part-time resident of Jackson Hole, mm-hmm. and it's partially a love letter to the area uh, and you know the the whole historical western aspect of it do you, have you is any of your stuff has the great mountain slide and flood popped up in any of your stories from jackson old the forest fire did the forest fire, fire the did. second book features the forest fire of yeah. uh, uh i think the late 1800s and um you know the early stories of the pass and uh, the, the, the entire second novel set on the Teton Pass. What is it about some communities that embrace their Western heritage while others would like to see that go away? And I speak about the city of Tucson, for one, yeah. that would like to see it go away. Really? Yes. They want to be L.A. They don't want to be the, a it's, Western town. It's, they think they're a big city with a small-town mentality, and it definitely shows in the politics around here. But... They I mean, don't, right before here, my wife and I went to Tombstone, Arizona. Tombstone, different place. It's also a tourist destination, no question about that. But historically, things did happen. Bisbee, another historical uh, area, but it's turned into a tourist place as well. Um, there are 
places in Arizona that do embrace the Western heritage. Prescott. Prescott is one. Uh, Wickenburg is a prime example as Great well. Um, but he, I mean, I must tell you, I found, I mean, I've been, I was originally from the East Coast, you know, mm-hmm. Philadelphia and historical places mm-hmm. that embrace their history. Mm-hmm. I found uh, Tombstone to be one of the great historical sites oh, yeah. in the United States. Yeah. My wife and I, the first night we got there, uh, it's very quiet, very small town, mm-hmm. yeah, of course, and beautifully preserved. I mean, mm-hmm. historically beautifully preserved. But we took a walk just through these quiet streets of the town. Mm-hmm. And you f- get out of the main street. Yeah, right down Allen Street. And you felt, we both felt it. You felt like you were there. There's something about that place that history comes alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's th- an amazing th- place. There are some pla- There are many places like that. Again, Tucson is not one of them because Tucson has decided to destroy a lot of the landmarks that were here and uh, would rather not preserve those that still remain. So that that's at least my beef with this town. And, and I really respect cities and communities that um, embrace their heritage and, and want others to know about it. Well, I mean, you know, just using Tombstone as an example, and there's probably a lot of reasons. For whatever reason, that story, 30 seconds, a 30-second gunfight yeah. is echoed down right. almost going on 200 years of time. Right? There's something about that story yeah. that fires up not just Americans, but everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, yeah. you know, they did, Wolper did a documentary shootout at the OK Corral, part of their appointment with Destiny Series. I played Frank McClory in that. But one of the neat things about shooting down there, like Harry mentions, it's it's a tourist town, but the folks down there, they're not down there, you know, the guys you see walking the streets doing reenactment and everything. They're not they're not there for the tourists. They're there for themselves because it's a, it's a passion for them and it's, right. And that's that's the really neat part. If you ever get a chance and you're in New Mexico, go to Lincoln. The whole town. Is pretty much like looks like what it did. Back so where the Lincoln County Wars were? Yeah, but uh, I just wanted to ask you though, uh, in your in your books, are you writing contemporary or period Western? And if you're not doing contemporary, have you thought about it? Well, um, I'm thinking like Wind River, things like that. The, these are straight westerns. Mm-hmm. I mean, and um, traditional. You know, Jackson Hole, I think, is probably 70 80 percent government land mm-hmm. so and it's it's it hasn't been overdeveloped over the years so you you can walk through you can take the pass mm-hmm. you can go through um you know the snake river you can right. go down hoback and probably the landscape hasn't changed yeah. too much and it's characters there no i like a, i think that the i think that the western iconography of Horses, mm-hmm. hats, guns, mm-hmm. good guys, bad guys, landscape is a universal um, iconography. Yeah. It's tradition yeah. and values, yeah. Yeah, it, it invokes something. It's the greatest setting to set a good and evil story. You can bring as many contemporary concerns as you want yeah. into the. It, you can you can do you can do anything in Western. You can do a horror Western. You can do yep. an action Western, a crime Western. I mean, it, for an author, it's a fantastic world to work with. Well, you know, I, I just think Game of Thrones is a Western in furs. Yeah. You get rid of the dragons and you bring in grizzly bears. And it's a Western. <laughs> it's factions. Yeah. Again, your books are? Uh, the, the, the two so far are Noose and Hanging Fire. They're, they're out through Kensington Books. They're in mass market paperback, uh, Kindle and large print. Any uh, books coming up? Yes, the next two in the series, uh, Branded. And um, the, the the one after that is called the Crimson Trail. And your and, and film project. Yeah, the, the film project is that's coming out. Um, the film project that we're working on now is actually a, t- uh, a, a, a 
TV movie. And mm-hmm. uh-huh. I'd like to do a series of movies about them. It doesn't affect the, the books one way or the other. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the fun thing about writing a book is you have no limits. You don't have to yeah. worry about budget and <laughs> casting. And, just know, pages. Just pages <laughs> and your imagination. There you, you go. Know. Eric Red, thank you much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it very much. Uh, do watch for uh, his books. You'll, I'm sure, find them on Amazon as well as a variety of other places. I'm Harry Alexander, Bunker to France on the other side. In the middle, John McClain. He, um, he's not an author, but he has a great voice, so that must mean he does something very similar to what we do. I am a storyteller. <laughs> a narrator. A narrator. Uh, in a world in where a horse... <laughs> I love it. Well, what are some of the stories you've told that we might we might have come across, or the folks out there might have come across? Well, uh, in in terms of the western genre, I've I've read some uh, some of the old Zane Grey novels, which are, of course are some of my very favorites. Oh, the audio books. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And uh, I did uh, Knights of the Range was one that I did, uh, which which I remember uh, with great fondness. Also, I've done some Louis L'Amour, Charles West, William Johnstone. Just in fact, just narrated his new release called Cutthroats, which will be coming out in a few weeks. So, oh, cool. very exciting. Uh, do you book. do the voices when you're narrating, or do you just do straight narration? I do. Um, it, it really depends on the story. Um, some authors will, will write characters in a way where they're what I would call very big, yeah. and so they require a little more voice work. Um, you have to be careful about overdoing that because you never want to make caricature unless yeah. it's called for. In some cases, it is. But, yeah, um, sure, you know, you exactly. Never, never. Right. But, you know, for example, if an author writes about a character and talks about that his voice is deeply graveled from years of cigars or whatever, then you have to honor that. Gargling gravel. Right. Or, or, for example, I've had a character recently that the author constantly pointed out uh, his penchant for tobacco plugs, and so I would put my tongue in my lip and, and kind of give the indication to the listener, oh, yeah, this is the guy that chews all the time. So, all right. Give us some examples of the characters you have portrayed. Um, I have portrayed most of the ones that I have done are, are fictional. Mm-hmm. So... Um, uh, however, um, I've done a couple of books that were about real people mm-hmm. that um, were novelized. So, uh, for example, there was a book about Wyatt Earp that I did called Wyatt in Wichita, which was a completely fictional story about Wyatt Earp and Bat Masterson. And how did Wyatt sound? Wyatt, uh, since he was the protagonist of the story, um, I played him pretty flat because mm-hmm. I didn't want to wear out the listener. So Wyatt was just kind of like this. He was just a not, not too, never got too excited about anything unless it was called for. And then Bat Masterson, I kind of gave him a little more so we could kind of determine that he was a different kind of character yeah. and his pacing was a little bit slower. He had a little bit of kind of a toothy thing going on. And then Wyatt was just, since he was talking the most, I wanted to kind of make him a little more You look at the pictures of Bat Masterson and you, you described him. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and that goes into a narrator's craft when you're, when you're going through a manuscript and prepping it. You, you learn about these people, especially that are the real characters. Um, you do. You look at photographs. You, you, uh, you read about other people that mm-hmm. have done tremendous amounts of research into mm-hmm. what these people were like. You want to honor the truth that, that even if it's a completely fictional story, um, the narrator's craft is to honor the truth that the author presents. Mm-hmm. And um, how, how did you, or did you, stumble into this career? Um, the Reader's Digest version is: I actually was a disc jockey for 20 years, and I got very bored with that. No, um, no, say, <laughs> say it ain't so. I'm a recovering disc jockey, <laughs> and um, uh, you know, and I, and I went into radio in a time when it was all about personality. Oh God, yeah. And uh, <laughs> then it became: I ended up doing mornings in Dallas, where every morning I got my stack of cards to read. 
And I thought, you know, this, this isn't is me. This is absurd. It's, yeah. Yeah, I'm not getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I want to do something else. And I began working in the theater. It's, it's like the, the, this, the, the Tom Petty song, The Last DJ. Yes, I love that record. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's so true. Yeah, it Tom is. Tom really got it. Um, and so I, I began to do uh, theater, and when I moved to Phoenix in 2010, came out here with my wife's job, I was looking for something new. Mm -hmm. And I, I met a gentleman named Pat Fraley, who's mm -hmm. an old cartoon guy from the, oh. used to work with uh, Hanna-Barbera. And, yeah. And uh, Pat is, is just the sweetest guy in the world, immensely talented, and I started a relationship with him, and, and he got me into audiobooks. Do you do character, book, uh, character voices? I don't do that? cartoons, no. I, I, I may be able to, but I it really helps to live in Southern California because they love <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, but the great thing about audiobooks, I can live in Phoenix, have my studio in my go. home. Yeah. And uh, yep. the other exciting thing, and the reason I came to Tucson, is because more and more in audiobooks nowadays, um, authors are getting involved. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, it, eight years ago, ten years ago, um, authors didn't care a whole lot about audio. It was kind of like, oh, audio, whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, but now they're getting excited about it. Well, it's just another form of, uh, of delivery. I mean, sure. I, I listen to audiobooks. And and I find them actually quite good and quite comforting right. because and, yeah. my eyes aren't able to focus well right. enough on the print anymore. And besides, they put it too close to the damn page. <laughs> so it sure. makes it difficult um, sometimes. And, and the audiobook is perfect. Right. Especially if you're driving. It's well, easier than turning pages. Right. right. Have you done anything with uh, R. Ron Hubbard? I have not. I know people that have. Yeah. We've had yeah, John Goodwin. Goodwin, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he's from Tucson. He grew up in Tucson. In fact, he used to live next door to my wife. <laughs> and he's uh, at uh, uh, in California doing the Galaxy uh, publications. Right, right. And they do uh, radio, radio, and, the stuff, uh, right? and radio yeah. theater. They've started mm -hmm. as well. Right. And so uh, I've always loved radio theater. It's, you might want to look into that, you know, a little extra income. Yeah, you know, yeah. Maybe, maybe even pay you, they might even pay you to come out to California and do a couple of gigs. There you you go. Know, actors are always looking for extra income. That's you one thing we all have in common. You know, <laughs> the same hello. Thing stuntmen, yeah. We're always walking around with the hand out. Exactly, like, yeah. exactly. John McClain. And you'd be surprised how many houses I painted. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yeah. John McClain, thank you much for joining us this, uh, for this shot. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. John McLean is a narrator. It's John McLean Audiobooks, and uh, you'll find audiobooksbyjohn.com is the website. Have you got a particular book you'd like to recommend for people to go out there and grab? I, the one I, I just recorded in May is William John, Johnstone's latest book called Cutthroats, and it was just a fantastic adventure. I loved it. I believe it's coming out in just a few weeks. Great. And it'll so. be available on Amazon, no doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Thanks, That'll, guys. You bet. Thank, Thank you. you. Howdy again. We are here at the Western Writers of America Convention 2019. I'm Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, and in the middle is our next guest, and that would be Lowell Volk. Welcome. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure, my pleasure to be here. And I suspect you're a writer. I am. <laughs> a heck of a writer. Some people tell me that. Some oh, people. Right. So, yeah, I have uh, several books out right now. In fact, I have uh, a six-book series. Ooh that starts out during the Civil War, and it runs from 1862 to 1869. Mm -hmm. And it started out with a family from Virginia, and the father joins Jackson, and so that book follows Jackson down through the Shenandoah Valley and stays in Virginia. Then the next book, Luke, the main character, he gets in trouble when he kills a guy that tries to kill his dad, who's a, a carpetbagger. Mm -hmm. So to avoid the jail and avoid being hung, he takes off and heads west. 
Well, at the end of that book, I introduced a character by the name of Trevor Lane. Trevor's a young man from Pittsburgh. He lost his mother and father, gets in trouble with the local law. To avoid jail, he ends up in the Pennsylvania 6th Calvary, mm -hmm. and it follows them through the Civil mm -hmm. War. Mm -hmm. Well, in the next book, he's discharged from the Army. He wants to go back down around Richmond, where there's a widow woman and her two children that saved his life. When he gets down there, he finds she's gone. So he heads west, and eventually these two characters, Luke and Trevor, meet up. Mm -hmm. So then in the fourth book, or the, uh, or the fifth book anyway, they leave uh, Kansas City, Missouri together on a wagon train. So while they're on the wagon train, they discover they have a common enemy trying to kill both of them. Then in the last book, they're in the Colorado Territory up around Denver where one of them gets married in Homestead, and the other one goes up in the mountains looking for his fortune in cold. <laughs> nice. You know, it kind of reminds me of the Leatherstocking saga in a way. You know, it starts out with him as a young man, Yeah. you know, uh, and it ends up with an old, as old Addy Bumpo on the prairie heading west. Uh, when uh, you started this, did, did, were you envisioning a series like this? I was or did in, it just happen? Well, it, it, I wasn't envisioning like a four-book series. Mm -hmm. And I was just going to do the family from the south and take them all the way into the Colorado Territory. But then oh, uh, in the second book, when I introduced uh, Trevor, I said, oh, darn, my four-book series is now six. Because <laughs> I did the south, you got to do the north. Yeah. yeah. So, so I took him and brought him in from mm -hmm. the north. Mm -hmm. So Well, you know, we've been talking the last couple of days here, and you've been talking about the new book you're working on about the town in Colorado, and yeah. it sounds like a fascinating story. It, it, it is. I'm, I'm working on a nonfiction book now that's called, it's going to be called The Early Days of Silverton, Colorado. Hmm. And as a result, what I did is uh, I've been up to Silverton, and I got to meet some of the people up there and I went through the historical archives up there and I originally started out and I was thinking about starting in 1860 when Charles Baker was one of the first men that went up in there to look for gold mm -hmm. and after I started the book I decided to go back and in the very first chapter I went back to the 1600s mm -hmm. and I decided to go back to when the Spanish were uh, coming into the area and they were looking for yeah. the seven cities of gold. Mm -hmm. And so I went through the 1600s and then the 1700s and then into the 1800s. And uh, I've been very fortunate in some of the information I found uh, while I was doing research on Silverton and Baker. I came across a newspaper article about a Dana Ivers and it turned out that she was the great, great granddaughter of Benjamin Harris Eaton, who went with uh, Baker. I guess they left the, the Denver area around 1860 in December and went back up there. So he was there in the late 1860s and 1861. Well, after several months of her missing me and I'm missing her, we finally got together and she gave me a bunch of information about her great-great-grandfather, hmm. who also became the fourth governor of Colorado. So, Imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, it's great how you stumble into Do you cover this. the railroad era there in Silverton? Yeah, we, in the book we cover some of the railroad area, some of the stuff that went on there and how they competed for who was going to put the railroad in and, and uh, 
Uh, there was actually two different railroad companies competing for it. So interesting. Your books are available at. Well, right now, to tell you the truth, if I didn't have bad luck with publishers, I didn't have any <laughs> luck at all. Uh, the publisher that did the series, uh, these books are available as e-books right now. Uh -huh. But the publisher that did the series, the father and son, were both convicted on six felony counts of embezzlement and two misdemeanor counts. So that's wow. where your royalties are. That's where my royalties are. Oh, my. And um, right now, Wheatmark out of Tombstone here, or uh, Tucson here, is uh, redoing my six books. Oh, good. So good. they will have them available again. It's hard copy, but like, like I said, um, e-books are available on Amazon right now. That's up there, Harry's alley there. He's an e-book man. Mm, uh, yeah, yeah. So. yeah. Well, I live in a recreational vehicle, so I don't have a place for a library. <laughs> 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 it, 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 except, except on this. <laughs> uh, well, I have I have another book out that uh, uh, Covington uh, had had published for me, and it's called Lucas Yates and the Roses. And uh, that one takes place in about 1868, 1869. Well, I guess we're stopped. <laughs> but that's the video. We're still audio. Go ahead. And, and uh, as a result, uh, what happens is the, the man, the main character, Lucas, uh, he's, he is out of the Army. This is after the Civil War. Prior to the Civil War, he loses his wife at childbirth along with their son that she was given birth to. So he's wandering around and he's going through the northern part of Texas and he comes across these two families in the valley uh, near the Canadian River that um, are in trouble because of a thunderstorm that comes in and creates lightning in the field. So he goes to rescue them and their last name happens to be Rose and that's where the Roses comes in. Mm -hmm. And as a result, Herbert's wife uh, gets captured by the Indians Herbert gets killed by the Indians, so Lucas goes after to bring her and her daughter back from the Indians, and it starts a story of trying to catch up with the rest of the family, and it becomes a, a trailing and kind of a love story. Do you have a, a website? I do. It's called LowellFVolkAuthor.com. And that's V-O-L-K. Yep. One of those four-letter words ending in K. <laughs> you know, I've got, I've got, I like to do stuff off the wall. I have an off the wall question for you. Okay. As a young man, when you were, and I'm talking about like a young man, but as a, like a kid going to the Saturday matinees and stuff, was there any particular Western or, or, or cowboy actors that had an influence later on in your life as a writer? I'd have to say that um, as a kid growing up, one of the main characters that I used to watch was Roy Rogers. And I was always envious of him and, you know, his horse trigger. Oh. <laughs> I've liked horses since I was a kid. Yeah. In fact, I have a couple of horses now, and one of them has given me uh, metal plates in my eye and an artificial iris due to a... <laughs> um, but I can't blame him. It was yeah. a, a truck that hit the Jake brake behind him. That yeah. him. So, so as a result, I still got the horse. I still yeah. ride him. Good, good. And I, but I've always loved westerns. I always liked history. I liked uh, early American history. Yeah. I retired from General Dynamics, where I worked with the Department of Defense and the CIA. 
And uh, while I was working for them, we d I did a lot of technical writing. But not wanting to do that when I retired, yeah. I decided I wanted to do, have some fun. <laughs> hey, there you go. <laughs> so I started, I started with the book, uh, the series I wrote. I used to go out to D.C. all the time, and I started visiting some of the, the battlefields and uh, mm -hmm. gathering information. And when I retired in 2004, I had the first three chapters written of the first book. Nice. Well, we were building a new home and stuff, and I had to get settled. We got debt settled, and I picked up those three chapters and threw them away and started over. Well, <laughs> you know, I've got a John, I mean, I'm not John Wayne, but a Roy Rogers story for it, because I think you'll appreciate it. Okay. You know, Roy, when he came out west and started with, joined up with the Sons of the Pioneers, and they were performing, well, when he got when he got his first picture job, Roy was a heck of a horseman, but he wasn't thin. He was an old farm boy, and farm boys aren't like ranch boys. You know, they get on a big old broadback workhorse <laughs> and plop down the road. But one of the things that Roy would do is, because he knew what he wanted to do. Once he did that movie, he said, this is what I want to do. He would go out to the stables at the, at the studio, like Hudkins or something like that, get a horse, and he would go out and ride. And what he would do is he would watch his shadow. And he would ride and I mean, run the horse, walk him, trot him, all through the different gates. And he, he was satisfied that his shadow and the horse's shadow were together. And I've always thought, that's what a lot of these young actors today that want to do a Western that can't ride and look like they can't ride it should do. Right. I know uh, when I was a kid growing up, uh, I had a cousin that had a riding horse. And his dad had, well, we called them plugs yeah. because they used them mm. for mowing hay or whatever. Yeah. And so when we go out there, I always got to ride the plug. You get the workhorse. Yeah. And yeah. I'd get off those things and I'll tell you, I was so doggone bow-legged, I could hardly stand. Oh, well, they're so broad back, you know, you, your legs your legs aren't down, they're sticking out when you're a kid, mm -hmm. they're sticking yeah. out straight mm -hmm. out, it's like, like doing the splits yeah. or something. So. All right, thank you much. Thank you, Moshe. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's always a pleasure, I like talking to you off camera. <laughs> Hello again, here we are at the Western Writers of America Convention 2019. This is day two. I'm Harry Alexander, Bunker to France over there. In the middle is uh, Sue Ritchie. She's an author and uh, something a little bit different than what we might expect uh, at a Western Writers Convention. Cowboys in outer space. Cowboys, <laughs> yeah, the Phantom Empire. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is, this is kind of neat, though, you know, because it gives us a chance to kind of broaden our perspective. That's right. You know, you, good. You, your book is Transformational Bereavement and Nourish the Wounded Spirit. Let's talk about that. Well, this whole subject is so foreign that nobody wants to talk about it, yet it's around us all the time. Oh, that would be death, right? Yes, it well, would be death. Well, you were telling me earlier that uh, one of the inspirations for this was to help women whose husbands has mm -hmm. passed away through the bereavement period and uh, adjustment. I just want to point out, too, that Sue has written on over 100 articles uh, under her, uh, I guess that's your maiden name, Downey? That was my married name. Married maiden. Oh, I got right. that backwards. Right. But uh, anyhow, this is, she's got a great background in, in this stuff. It's basically inspirational uh, stuff that it's 
for, when we're in need of inspiration sure. or help, that's her inspiration, I guess. What, what, and, and, go, and after you answer that, what is your background? Uh, well, let's go to the background first. Okay. <laughs> my, my first career was as a banker. Um, and I get to brag here really fast. There used to be a bank in Tucson called Southern Arizona Bank. I remember it well. And and I became the first female branch bank manager of Southern yeah. Arizona Bank in the early 60s. Which branch was it? At the airport branch. Oh, airport. No, I buy a count elsewhere. Right. You didn't rob that one. Right? No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, banking was always my first love. So therefore, for me to become a writer... You know, it's the bottom line with all bankers, and so <laughs> it, you you know it really is chicken or feathers sometimes mm-hmm. with bank, with with book. But anyway, the biggest thing about this is that, you know, this is a situation of where um, people don't know what to do, and they truly go into almost a cocoon stage um, of where they don't. They don't know that nothing works. Their brain doesn't work. Yeah. It, they don't care. You know, it's like it's, this is very bad for them. Emotion, emotionally, it is. Yeah. And and for the man, when he loses his wife, he will look out. And the reason he looks out is because he has not protected his wife. Mm-hmm. And therefore, mm-hmm. he feels uh, his, responsible his for it. Basic, sure. His basicness, his void, has, yeah. has failed him. His purpose woman, in life. And the woman will look down, and she feels guilty because she couldn't cure it. Mm-hmm. So this is a big thing, and the, unfortunately, many people become ill after the first, after the in that first year. Yes. And I'm saying, this is your life. Mm-hmm. It's your life to live. You deserve it. So come come along and on this road that is really hard to walk, but you can do it. Let me ask you this, yeah. because it seems to me one of the things I've noticed doing research and into history and stuff, that the grieving process itself has changed so much because before you had the family unit, uh, you had family uh, grieving traditions. Yes. Right. There was certain, you find that really strong yes. in the Spanish, Spanish yes. culture. And... In today's modern world, with the frag- fragmented family, you don't really have that support or that, right. that outlet. Very true, very true, and and that's one of the things. In in this particular book, it has a lot of fill-ins. Like for instance, who was Dad? Did Dad really like football better than mm-hmm, basketball? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes you think. Makes you think about the uh, loved one uh, and put those memories back into action absolutely as opposed to oh they're gone what am I going to do now yes I wish my daughter had found your book <laughs> well, after her husband passed yes uh, but uh, transform uh, transformational bereavement right by Sue Ritchie available at uh, it's at my website which transformationalbereavement.com there you go yes and uh, it's in a couple of bookstores but we'll just say order for me do you I have all the money do you have another well, one you've done a great job for a first time interview yeah have you and i know you were nervous <laughs> nervous as can be but it's over do you live through it one more question okay. do you have more coming out more books i i do i'm working on a i have 
a completed manuscript on the stronghold, on happenings in the stronghold. Could you strive? It's called vibration. Turn that around and show that. Oh, dear, dear, dear. There you go. You hold it out to me. Yeah, perfect. There you go. Yes. Perfect. That so, is Cochise's stronghold. It is in Cochise County. Mm-hmm. And I have three other manuscripts. Two are done right. and two are in progress. So, Richie, thank you much for joining us. Howdy again. Here we are at the Western Writers of America Convention 2019. This is day two. I'm Harry Alexander. With me is Bunker de France. And the guy in the middle is Peter Shiraiko. And uh, he's from Caravan West Productions. And I love the, love the, the tag here for it. One-stop shopping today for yesterday. And we're going to try to keep him in the middle because he's kind of rowdy. <laughs> I, I haven't had a drink yet. All right. Well, you got to start sometime. Well, I know, but it's 10 o'clock in the morning. Basically, what Caravan West Productions does is... We make westerns. Okay. We do every... I'm the only... I formed this company about 28, 29 years ago, mm-hmm. and we're the only company that does everything for a western and historically correct. Guns, props, set dressing, horses, saddles. You watch a movie that we do, you're going to see the right saddles. Mm-hmm. Correct period saddles from 1870s, 1880s. <laughs> uh, we have about 220 saddles of that uh, uh, period. You go to any other Wrangler and you've known them, you've seen them, you've mm-hmm. worked with them, they just put a modern Western saddle on and they'll go, it's a Western saddle. Who knows the difference? Nobody mm-hmm. knows. Right. The I people, know. the historians yeah. do. Yeah, and, and people yeah. who watch westerns a lot do as well. Uh, today, our generation, because yeah. I see you guys are old guys like I am. What? Well, <laughs> how dashed you? Well, how old are you? Seventy-eight. Seventy. Oh, you're an old man. <laughs> I'm seventy-two. Anybody, <laughs> anybody a day, pup? anybody a day older than me is an old man. You're anybody a, a day younger, well, anybody is younger a kid. is a pup. Is yeah. a, that's right. You know, age is just a number, and my number is unlisted. Now this, this one. Here, <laughs> This one here, he's not a pup. He's a toddler. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's all right. That's yeah. all right. No, I'm glad you, I'm glad yeah. you can do you, what you're doing and, and, yeah. and do it. Well, we love doing it. It's, 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 well, you know, when I retired the second the time, <laughs> this, this show saved me because what do you do when you're retired? It's the most no, no, never, ever retire. It's the stupidest thing you can ever do. See, I can't retire because no, I never had a job. Yeah, right. There you go. I have always done in my life what I wanted to do. And yeah. you can't fire yourself either. Oh. Right. Well, <laughs> You've tried. Don't I know you? my boss. He's an asshole. Well, let me ask you this. Wait, that's me. Let yeah. me ask you this because, you know, I've always told people, I said, well, you know, why did you do this? I said, well, they paid me good money to play cowboys and Indians. They fed me, and I didn't have to grow up. Exactly. See? Exactly. Yeah. How many, I always tell people, I said, think of what you wanted to do when you were 10 years old. Yeah. When you were 10 years old, if you could achieve that in your adulthood, mm-hmm. you're okay. When yeah, I, you I, I retired from the Florida Park Service uh, years back and moved back to Tucson. Uh, my wife and I grew up here. And kids were here and grandkids. And we're moving back to Tucson, and I'm looking on the website, because I figure I can still work, and I see a job under in Pima County listings for, they're looking for a cowboy. And I get real excited about this. And I tell my wife, and I'm like bouncing up and down, and she says, no. <laughs> You can't play cowboys. Okay, yeah. you know. So there, Why we, not? there we are. So here, here I am today. 
Well, tell us what, what's your latest project? What are you working on? <coughs> latest project? On that, well, uh, this is June 20th, uh, June 24th. A movie called The Outsider comes out, uh-huh, which we filmed yeah. uh, last October, November. We are finishing editing right now on a movie that I produced called Soldier's Heart. Yeah. Soldier's Heart was the term in the Civil War mm-hmm. for PDSD. Yeah. yeah. And when I heard that title, I said, that's a great title. So it's about a soldier 10 years after the Civil War, and he's still suffering, mm-hmm. and we try to cure him mm-hmm. uh, from that, with yeah. all the excitement and adventure. Got, I remember reading a name for somebody in that, but I can't... Uh, Val Kilmer's in it. That's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I worked with Val on, uh, on Tombstone, yeah. and then I called Val for... For this and he said yeah well yeah i'm in <laughs> you know i've got i've got something for you because i remember reading some of the about the wardrobe and the stuff in there and there were people that complained about the sashes and i've heard some of the other people complain about them i know a little bit about sashes i know you know a whole heck of a lot from what i read tell us Kind of straighten it out for some of the folks that are confused. Well, one of the reasons is there were no belt loops. Nobody wore belts. Mm-hmm. You wore your pants. And the sash was basically uh, your belt mm-hmm. holding holding your pants up. And the sash also, the military sash, was worn under the leather gun belts. Right. That's right. So that you wouldn't get the oil on your clothes. Plus to signify, another you know, way to and, signify and being this an is officer. The thing too, you know, it, it, it's a California tradition. It goes all the way back to the early 1600s. Oh, with the exactly, the Californians. Look at a picture of Charlie Russell. He is the epitome. When Charlie Russell's got his Sunday go-to-meeting clothes on, he's always got a sash on. Yeah. Well, they didn't have they didn't have belts. Yeah. It was as simple as that. And then suspenders they were also used. Or, suspenders they, or, they could be used for a lot of other things as yeah. well. The same thing with a with a bandana. Yeah. Which drives me crazy when I see a bandana worn on a on a on yeah. well the the modern way the the rodeo cowboys are double tying it over there and the little oh, the, uh, the buck, buckaroo knot yeah yeah that, square knot I, I said that didn't exist and they put that in a movie and yeah. I'm going ah. square knots right just a square well, knot well, yeah, yeah, yeah this is the other thing and the knot it was always knotted in the front mm-hmm. when I see these guys walking around and that big triangle is in the front and it's so <laughs> loose I said what do you are you are you having a lobster dinner? You have your lobster bib on, yeah. or are you going to break your arm? You have a sling. That, you know. that was my next question because I'm, I look at these guys and I go, okay, if you're if you're riding drag, you're not you're going to put that up. It's going to fall back down. Right. If you're going to have it, it's going to be where it's going to where it's going to snug on your face. When exactly. I when I talk to people, the actors, wait a minute, I'm an actor. Oh, when I talk to other actors. And they go, well, you know, uh, yeah, you wear it like that because uh, when you're riding drag on a, uh, uh, on a, on a trail drive, then that keeps the dust out, or you're going to rob a bank. <laughs> and I say, okay, so now you're going into the bar, and now you're going to announce to the girls in the bar that you want to pick up, I got the lowest job on the trail drive. I'm riding drag. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was equated to a guy. Say you're working on the road crew. You're mm-hmm. putting oil down on the road. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to go to a bar later on, or you work at McDonald's and you flip burgers. Mm-hmm. You're going to go into a bar. Are you going to wear your little smock with say Chucky on it mm-hmm. from McDonald's, <laughs> or, or are you going to go in and say, "Well, I'm in the restaurant business." Yeah, yeah. It. yeah. yeah it's, a, it's right. a whole well, perception. Well, you know, it's like it's, it's funny too because, like you say. 
it's so loose you can't even put it over your hat to hold it down in a windstorm. Yeah. If you read a lot of books, uh, which I read constantly to find out more information, if you read that, you'll see that the, the cowboys had to buck a horse out for 15 or 20 minutes mm -hmm. in the morning before that horse would work all day. Mm -hmm. So you got this loose thing flapping around like yeah. that. I can I can always imagine getting it getting get caught on the saddle horn. Oh yeah. And mm. now you're you're Whoa, you're, you're yeah. dead. Yeah. yeah. But they don't understand it. So anytime I see a guy wearing that loose hanging bandana, I said, number one, you're not a horseman. Well, here's another one for you. This is one of my favorites. You you, you always see in the westerns. You never see anybody wearing a sweater or a turtleneck. Go up to Montana. Look at the old pictures. Those guys, they got their mama, their grandma, their aunt, somebody knitted out a net because when it's wintertime, they had them sweaters it's, it's on. It's cold. Look at the, the only picture of uh, Billy the Kid. He's got a sweater on. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Peter Scirocco has uh, written a couple of books. We've got them here. This one, the top one, The Fringe of Hollywood, The Art of Making a Western. Where they can see it. There you go. Yeah. We got, there we go. The Art of Making a Western. Yes. And, the That's a, oh, but that is cool. Yeah. That's an ad for Ultra Max Magazine. Uh, hey, show that, show that. Turn that around. It's great artwork. All right. And the second one, Tombstone, Guns and Gear. And Ride the River with, oh, that's another ammo that's one. Ultra Max. I, I yeah. use their ammunition all the time. Yeah. So we, you know, we promote things. Yeah. Well, Peter, this has been more fun than yeah. a pack full of squirrels. Is it? Are we done? Yeah. Well, uh, well, okay, here, here's how you can find out more. Go to, on the web, go to caravanwestproductions.com, and uh, you'll find the email contact info there for uh, Peter. And um, you are located, where are you located? We're in Aguadulce, oh, California. California. <laughs> Aguadulce. Now, if you've watched Westerns, yep. hundreds of old Westerns, yep. and you know Vasquez Rocks, those big yep. jagged rocks yep. that are, that's, yep. that's Aguadulce. Okay. That's our main site. Very well. And, I was in the valley for 20 years in San Fernando. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I got a mudslide. I got ruined. I wanted oh. to move out of there. I outgrew my place there, and I said, how can I move somewhere else? And I couldn't do it. There's <laughs> so, a guy up, I'm still up in Sunland that used to make uh, old western beer. Uh, the Red River? No. I guess I can't remember the name of it. I used to stop in there once in a while just to visit. Well, you know, well Foothill Boulevard. Church and on stuff. Foothill Boulevard. Oh, right there on, right yeah. there in no, Sunland. No, 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 no. All right. Red River has dried up. Peter Chiraga, thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank guys. And I'm, uh, I'm glad I was here. And, we'll have uh, we'll have you on again. Lie a little bit. Yeah, we'll have you on again to lie some more. Here he comes. Here he comes. There's the trumpet and the drums. Here he comes. Buffalo Cassidy. Here he comes. Abel Franzi's Voices of the West will be right back. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hello, 
Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movie Zealots podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. We also play games like the Alexa quote of the show. And may the odds be ever in your favor. And have a from the cutting room floor segment that is an open forum to discuss anything from our thoughts of a Netflix TV series to our experiences with movie subscriptions such as the AMC Stubs or MoviePass. So, after finishing this podcast, please give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Simply search Movie Zealots. Until then, that's a wrap. Besides bringing millions a year into this community with national and international events, the Tucson Trap and Skeet Club at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway services the local shooting sports community with a 380-acre site featuring trap, skeet, five stand, and two sporting clays fields, as well as a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, which all is available to local shooters, and soon an archery range. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com or take a drive out west of town and see it for yourself. New members or single-day use, welcome. Old Western Radio Theatre every Saturday at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time only on the Voices of the West. VOW Radio. Welcome back to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Howdy, we're here at the Western Writers of America Convention 2019, Day 3. Harry Alexander with you. Bunker to France on the other side. The guy in the middle wearing the star is not here to arrest us. He is Robert Orenvon and an author. Welcome. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, Yeah, the stars, uh, everybody once accused me of being the... uh, (laughs) Uh, the sheriff, but uh-huh. uh, uh, actually they shot the sheriff, but they didn't shoot the deputy. They're, oh, you're the deputy. Very yeah, well. If you're not <laughs> the man excellent. from Uncle, are you the man from Addy? <laughs> uh, actually, I'm the man from Wyoming. I used there to live go. in Arizona, but uh, <laughs> I started writing in Arizona. But anyway, uh, I've been in uh, Wyoming five years, and this is my fifth year with a place called Old Trail Town. Mm. And uh, what it is is a collection of historic buildings uh, that have been moved there that uh, a fellow by the name of Bob Edgar started setting up. He opened it in 1967 yep. to the public, and it's a fascinating and uh, inspiring place to work. Hmm. And they let me sell my books there, which I do quite well. Let's talk about those books. Okay. Shamelessly promote. Yeah, well, I've uh, got six books published. Uh, if you count, uh, I, put, I, I wrote two collections of short stories. Uh, they're called Guns, Grit, and Women, one and two. Uh, and I put them together and threw in another story so you can get <laughs> Guns, Grit, and Women to complete. Uh, and you buy that book, you save a few bucks, and you get an extra story. A trilogy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, my latest book uh, spent uh, seven weeks on the top 100 best-selling westerns nice. on Amazon. And uh, it's called uh, Shootout at the Dallas Saloon. Uh, it's not about Texas. Uh, I invented a town in Dallas. Uh young man uh, had to quit school to support his family because his father got killed. And uh, he starts working in a gold and silver mine and starts hanging around at the saloon with the other miners and stuff and kind of gets an education. And uh, he uh, meets up with a really vile guy, the most, the worst guy that I 
to, I took all the people that I ever hated and all, <laughs> yeah, all the people that uh, I didn't like and uh, threw in a little bit more. And this character is one of the worst characters you ever heard of. Anyway, that's going to be one of the wider secrets that yeah. you just gave away. Yeah, it. and this. Uh, will, this will they recognize themselves if they read it? Probably not. <laughs> it is, they, they say, "Well, I couldn't be me." Uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, he gets in a conflict with this guy, and it ends up in a shootout at the Dallas Saloon. All right. Well, and it takes place uh, not in the traditional 1880s, 1890s, or even the 70s, but rather it takes place in 1912 and 13. Yeah, those we are, those are new ones that are that. starting to come about. And this one's, this one's done very good. Uh, I've had two of my fans... Uh, uh, my manager at Old Trail Town, uh, he was planning on doing some work on this weekend before Old Trail Town opened on May 15th and mm-hmm. uh, it rained all weekend. Mm-hmm. He said he sat down with that book and he's he's read pretty well all my books, but he sat down with that book and he said, I couldn't stop. <laughs> he oh. read the whole thing. And you that's know. your agent. <laughs> well, nice. No, no, no. That is, that's awesome. That's, you know, yeah. that, that's one of the great things. I, I, I really appreciate the fact that the time period you picked. Yeah, because that you know it wasn't the Wild West, but it was still pretty darn woolly. Well, you you know what? Pretty uh, woolly. Down here in Arizona, up in Wyoming, Wyoming was probably one of the last New states Mexico? that really settled down. New Mexico, Wyoming, yeah. you know, the, the Southwest. They they took them a while to settle well, down. They well, didn't catch up. New New Mexico and Arizona had to clean up before they would be admitted to the to the union yeah. and it yeah it took them till 1912 to do so right and, and yeah, so. i had a i met a guy uh, an older guy and he was telling me well there's a guy by the name of finn uh, vay finn down in uh, benson arizona that i talked to a lot and he was a sheriff county sheriff down mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. county sheriff deputy rather Anyway, I mean, they had a shootout down there. Benson's got such a rich and, history. And Pal- yeah. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. But anyway, he was telling me about when he was young, uh, the uh, Mexicans were on their side of the border, and the uh, Americans went on their side shooting of the border, but they would race horses. Oh. <laughs> you know, they'd, be, they'd be, each be on the other nice. side of the fence, but they would race horses. Nice. Oh, yeah. Nice. All right, so your books are all available at Amazon. Yes, yes, they are. And, and it's all under the name of Robert Oren Vaughn. No, no, no it is they're not. under the name of Oren Vaughn because well. I just used my middle name. Uh, that's interesting how I come up with that. I, uh, when I was a kid, people make fun of that name every time they found out what mm-hmm. my middle name was, and I, I got right. to hate it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when I grew up, I, I started. Uh, I met a couple guys named Oren, and it's yeah, that's. It's not a bad name at all. Got a good but I didn't give I didn't give that name to any of my kids, mm-hmm. and uh, so the name didn't get passed <laughs> on. My my grandfather was named Bert Warren. My my dad was named Abraham Warren, and so my name was Robert Warren, and it stopped there. And I said, "What? Well, I got to honor that name somehow." Mm-hmm. So I use it as my pen name. You know, before we let him go, I want to I want to know about your badge. Oh, this is a it says Deputy of Old Trail Town. And if you want to see real history, if you want to see the gravesite of Jeremiah Johnston, the mountain man, if you want to see uh, where all the outlaws used to drink and and have their fun, the River Saloon, if you want to see the hideout of uh, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and the Hole in the Wall Gang, 
I could just them. I could go on and on and <laughs> nice. on. But these these cabins and the uh, artifacts that are there are real. Yeah. I mean, they've all been moved there. But they are real. They're authentic, and and that's what I like about Old Troll Town. But anyway, I, they sell this badge here, and I, I just uh, about a month ago I just got sick, uh, because when they first started selling these, they come out in gold, mm-hmm. and there's no more gold ones mm-hmm. left. And I was up in Billings shopping, and I had my badge. I wear it all the time, you know, because mm-hmm. people ask me about it. Oh, the sheriff's in town. And I said no. They shot the sheriff, and they didn't <laughs> shoot the deputy. And so anyway. Uh, you know, it's it's from Old Trail Town. If you want to be a deputy, I'll swear you in. Come on, buy a badge, and I'll swear you in. I'll swear. Nice. Yeah. And, and that's right. what I say. Yeah. You Robert swear? Orr. And they said, yeah, and that's it. Robert Orr and Vaughn, thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you for we having appreciate. me. How do you again, uh, Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, live at the Western Writers of America Convention 2019. This is day number three. Faith Boyce, president of the Empire Ranch Foundation That's with correct. us. That's correct. And you guys got a booth next door to us. We do. We, we've been, had a great time at this convention. It's our first time. Uh, you know, we figured we, we had a plate at this table, so we came down, and it's been terrific. We've met so many different people and got people interested in the Empire Ranch. A lot of folks hadn't even heard about it, and... Mm-hmm. You know, this being a writer's conference, it's a, it's a gorgeous place to go for inspiration. And uh, so we really we even got a couple of the attendees that are coming out on Sunday to do a docent tour. Marty's going to lead them. And, Excellent. Yeah, and we've met folks from all over the world. So it's been really great. Big changes since the last time we spoke with you about the ranch. And uh, we've got the new the ranch house has been reopened. Yep. And... Uh, Let's talk briefly about that. Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, The fence came down in July of last year, so almost a whole year now that the fence has been down. The BLM ended up putting a million dollars into it. The fence was up for 19 months. Uh, It looks outstanding. It looks Mm -hmm. like you could just move right into it. you know, it, it's that. gorgeous. I would like to. All they have to do is say okay, yeah. and I'm and I'm there. So rooms. Right. I just want a room with a fireplace. (laughs) I would like the main bedroom. But uh, at any rate, you know, our uh, interpretation committee uh, has put a lot of time and work into... um, into our, uh, you know, having staging the the rooms and uh, lots of donations from lots of people in the mm-hmm. community and, uh, you know, all of our volunteers. I can't talk enough about all the time that gets put into this. And um, I mean, even you guys, mm-hmm. your past board members, you're still an advisory member. Uh, it, it all can't be done without the heart and passion that each one of us holds. So. Upcoming events. We know we've got a movie coming up. This uh, uh, it's not going to be in the summer though. Yes. Well, it is well, still summer. Have, so Technically, let, it's still start, summer. Let's start. Let's do it in, in time in order sequence, here. Yeah. 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 So uh, we are um, uh, working with the loft again this year to do a movie under the stars event. Last mm-hmm. year we did it. This is our second year. We're going to be showing Red River. Yeah, we're going to be so down there for that. That's right. You guys are going to be speaking, and that's July seventeenth. It is a free event. Uh, Easy Cattle Company will have their chuck wagon set up. Oh. And and um, good, good. Uh, yeah, great food, and so that that'll be fantastic. That is free. Bring your chairs. Uh, we'll have popcorn available. We're going to rent a popcorn machine and dig popcorn. So that'll be fun. Uh, so that's that event, and then two weeks after that is National Day of the Cowboy. Uh, we'll this be there be, for that too. That's right. Well, you guys are our speakers for the movie stuff, and it's it's so important, you know, because there's so many different aspects out at the ranch. It's mm-hmm. not. It's not just a cowboy thing. It's there's there's so many different uh, you know yeah. attractions to the ranch. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, can, I just want to point out that you know when when we talk about the Red River, 
we're going also going to be talking about the local people that worked on the movie back right. then. You know, mm -hmm. some of the some of the guys that I knew and I worked with. Howdy again, uh, Harry Alexander. You don't get that kind of information uh, when you go to the loft downtown because right. they're talking about what everybody knows and saw in the theater. We're talking about some of the behind the scenes stuff. Right, right, right. And you know, that's that's priceless. You, you can't. Uh... After that movie, then comes the, the big one, and that's in November. And it's changed. It used to be the Roundup. Now yes. it's, uh, what, what's Cowboy. the name now? The Cowboy Festival. It's actually our 20th anniversary this year. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's that's, that's really great. It's going to be fantastic. We're constantly bringing, uh, you know, new acts and, and uh, pre presenters, presenters, sorry. Presenters. Uh, and, you know, so it, we always want to change it up so that you keep coming back. There's mm -hmm. always something to see. And, and as we all know, it's only a one-day event, so you can't see it all. So you got to come back the next year to see what you didn't mm -hmm. see the year mm -hmm. before. And so... Um, you know, it, it's our, that, and that was actually one of our draws in being here today is, is to get some authors yeah. to come on down and, and mm -hmm. uh, sell their yeah, books and shop. And have a tent set up for authors. We do, just for exactly. authors. That's right. Yeah. So um, I wanted to back up a little because you were touching on our typical summer movie, which we do have at the loft. It is the screening yes, at the loft. Uh, yes. It is September 15th this year. That's still summer. That's still summer. <laughs> it is. It's always summer here until about November, and uh -huh. then it's summer until again in February. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. but that one is uh, we changed it up a little bit this year. We're gonna do it on a Sunday matinee. Mm -hmm. So hopefully it'll be a two o'clock showing. More you know, family too. more family can come. Hopefully sure. the monsoon yeah. storms aren't chasing us home as they have in the past. <laughs> and um, and we're showing uh, Oklahoma for that this year. I want to add a footnote to that too because uh, Oklahoma is in the news this year in that the Broadway revival of Oklahoma won the Best Musical Revival That's Tony right. Award, and the young lady that played Ado Ani won Best Supporting Actor, Actress, and she's got a voice like an archangel. Oh, it's just, but it, it's, so Oklahoma is back in the news. Well, it's a fantastic movie. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a great musical, no question about that. And the scenery, when they open it up in the charge, that's where it's filmed there at the, yeah, on the ranch got, property. I've got information on that even. Yeah, I bet ready. you do. We're ready for it. <laughs> we're also, uh, what will be a, another draw for that event, is we will have the original Surrey with the fringe on yes. The actual one used for filming, uh, the nice. Tucson Rodeo Parade Museum, is going to be bringing that down, mm -hmm. and they'll have a couple docents, too, talking about the museum and, and the amazing collection they have down at the Tucson Rodeo Parade Museum. So that's going to be there, too. Excellent. And, and you're part another, of another footnote there is the train that they used in that is the train that's up in the Tucson Depot. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. That's right. And, and uh, uh, you're part of the rodeo committee. The, the parade rodeo co parade committee. committee yep. so I'm coming up on 20 years as a committee member. Good grief. Wow. Yeah. When, when do you find time I, to do anything? I don't. This is what I do. <laughs> so, I volunteer a lot. So uh, will uh, there be a, a, sprint, a fall trail ride prior to the uh, uh, the, the festival? Uh, festival? There is a trail ride, but it's not the Empire Ranch Foundation. It's actually put on by Horse and Around Rescue Ooh, and Ranch. Yeah, I thought I thought you was 
it was happening it at the Empire? Probably, it, um, it usually is okay. at the Empire, um, and definitely go to their Facebook. That's Horsing Around yep. Rescue. Um, uh huh. And they they will be pushing their event in October, and we encourage you to sign up. You know, the uh, founder and of that is, is your dad. Is my dad, yes, yeah, Steve Boyce, who was born and raised on the ranch. So, and then uh, there's there's a spring trail ride that That's is right. Horsing Around sponsors. Uh, it takes helps out with that, but it's a it's a ranch event. That it, yeah, that is put on by the it's Empire Ranch it, Foundation, yeah. and that's the first weekend in April always. Yeah. And again, uh, we have if you're not into riding horses, you can come and ride a wagon. Mm-hmm. You food. there's food again, chuck wagon uh, lunch by Easy, Easy Cattle Company. Um, you know, and he's a prize winning chuck wagon too. Yeah, it's yeah he is. It's just any pl- anything he goes to, he wins prizes. At. It's amazing. It's, it's just plum good time to go down yeah. to the Empire Ranch. We need always to back up time. for just a minute too, though, because one of my favorite events out there is Cowboy Christmas. Oh, that's they right. They decorate that house up. It's worth the yep. trip just to see the deco. Sally Pine knocks herself out. Yeah. Empire Ranch, located uh, about 45 minutes southeast of Tucson from Tucson. Head down Interstate 10. Take the Highway 83 exit towards Sonoida, and uh, you'll see the sign on the left-hand side just after you pass the Border Patrol checkpoint. If you're coming from New Mexico, it's pretty simple. You're heading west on I-10. You take the Highway 83 turnoff and follow the signs to the Empire Ranch. Open 24-7 every day of the week. Camping available, too. Three miles off of 83, and it's paved all the way to the front gate. It is. Faith Boyce, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you guys so very much. Howdy again. We are live at the 2019 Western Riders of America convention here in Tucson. I'm Harry Alexander. Bunker de France on the other side wearing the hat. And the guy in the middle. Who is the guy in the middle? The guy in the middle. You know who he is? I know who he is. Kellen Cutsforth, uh, author. Um, I've been on here before, actually, with my other partner in crime, Bill Markley. Um, But here I am in the flesh. So maybe you don't want to buy the books now after you see the author. (laughs) What? No, you want to buy the books. Yeah. What he writes is worth reading. Thank you. And he's a knowledgeable man. I hate to admit it, but it's true. It's worth reading and it's worth arguing about. Yes. I mean, it, it took us two shows to cover. You and Markley's book. book, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. The old west, the old west showdown. So yeah, he. Ta- for those who don't know, old west showdown. Um, we took two, uh, or I'm sorry, ten old west controversies. So did Billy the Kid really get killed by Pat Garrett? Did he live on the old age? Was Wyatt Earp a villain at the OK Corral, or were it the, was it the Clantons? So on and so forth. We took ten of those. He took one side. I took the other, and then we hashed it out. Uh, in the book, and I will say, jumping off, the book has done very well. We Good. just found out because it, of us. Yeah, well, a big part of it. I'm sure a big <laughs> I, part of it. I know the two podcasts, two podcast episodes of that. The downloads are incredible. Are they really high? That's awesome. Well, I know the first one, and and I and I apologize. I can't remember the fellow's name, and I know he passed away. He and I. No, Emil. Yeah, well, he and I duped it out on that first yeah. one because he was such a hardcore anti-herb oh, yeah. guy, yeah, yeah, and yeah, so yeah, he yeah. and I yeah. went at. We were like going back and forth, and it was great. I mean, it was great radio, uh, but Joe used to fight with everybody on. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, that's, a, that's the feeling that I got. So. Yeah, but, he, but he did it. He did it with. 
It kind of tongue in cheek and a twinkle. Yeah. In oh yeah. Head. Oh yeah. No, I didn't walk away with any hard feelings. <laughs> yeah. What I wanted, what I want to focus this talk on is uh, you presented a panel on uh, comic Western comics or comic books. Do we call them graphic novels? I like comic books. Co comic books. So I, I have had that discussion um, probably three times last night. The difference between comic book and graphic novel. Um, the comic pages. Sure. Or comic strips, comic yeah, strips. right. So the strip is what you find in uh, your newspaper, uh, right. for those newspapers that are still around <laughs> um, and still run them. Uh, and then uh, the the comic is the thing that you would buy on the rack when you would, you know, mm -hmm. for, for some folk. When I was a kid, you would go into the grocery store and they had yeah. a rack of yeah. comics and on it. Right, right. <laughs> and they and they were only like maybe 20 to maybe 30 pages, right? What? And um, dime when I was a kid. Oh, no, 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 no 20, 20, 30 pages. Oh, oh, it was a buck when I was a kid. Yeah, so, yeah. but um, and I, but. I think the cover price now is still like it's only like three bucks or something oh, it's like ridiculous. that. Some yeah. of them are more than yeah. that. <laughs> yes, well, yeah, they go up. The but the, the comic book <laughs> is that single issue. The graphic novel, and I, hopefully I can get this across correctly because I was having such a hard time last night with somebody I was talking to. <laughs> the graphic novel, so say there is a story arc, and let's just take Superman. Okay. Superman has a story arc that, that runs five or six or maybe ten issues mm. of the Superman comic. No, and that story true. arc, he battles Lex Luthor all the way to the end of that ten mm -hmm. story arc. He gets rid of the kryptonite, he saves Lois Lane, mm -hmm. and and Lex Luthor is put in jail at the end of that. Now and the, the ranch is Right. And now that comic still goes on. He has other adventures mm -hmm. and, and and that um, number ordering goes on. But that ten issues is seen as sort of a, a story arc or a story series. And so the graphic novel would be they take those 10 yeah. issues and they combine them together into one, what they call a trade paperback. Uh -huh. And you know, the funny thing is they didn't start doing that until the graphic novels really started eating into their revenue. That is correct. And somebody said, well, you know, we got, like you said, we got this story arc. It's, it's natural. And they, yeah. And they well, just tapped into it. And, they, and, they, and that is actually where, I, from what I understand, uh, a huge portion of where the comic book companies mm -hmm. get their money. That's a real mm -hmm. solid base for them because it goes up and down when when you get away from issue one well, and things like it, that. It, they it, meander. It, the, the term graphic novel versus comic book reminds me of uh, back in the 60s, I recall there was there were moves afoot to change language. The Garbage collector was no longer a garbage collector. He was a sanitation engineer. <laughs> yeah. The school janitor was a custodian. Right, right. All right. And, and so it's a nicer way to put it, right. I think. Maybe yep. a marketing ploy. I don't know. But I agree. To I me, it's agree. Co they're comic books. Well, you know, if you want Whether really, they're funny or not, really, they're comic books. really want to go back to the, oh, the, the evolution of the graphic books. Right. They really started in Europe with the like Metal Herlion, which yeah, was sure. a magazine, but they would do these multi-issue yeah. story arcs yeah. and then come out with the graphic yeah. novel. And, yeah. so, and then Metal Herlion became Heavy Metal, right. which was yes. awesome. I mean, Excellent. Yeah, yes, I, you're I would absolutely go, right. And they had, they had one series there that was like, it blew me away. Yeah. This was a Western 
with vampires. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. But it was, I looked and I read the essays. Man, this is like a movie storyboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Per- and that's what a graphic novel to me it's, really is. It's yeah. like a, a real super annotated storyboard. And that, and that is what uh, David Morrell, who was on our panel last night, David Morrell, who was the creator of Rambo, um, wrote the, the novel First Blood. He's also written several other westerns. Um, and has and uh, but he's most well known for his Rambo, but um, also worked in comic book slots. And, and he said the exact same thing: when you write a script for a comic book, it is almost as though you are doing a storyboard. You are you are writing this. Your the artist will interpret what you have written and mm-hmm. turn those into images. Mm-hmm. So, um, and there is a lot that goes into it uh, for those for those who aren't aware of comic book too, because you can open a comic and say, "Well, you didn't do much writing because there was only like you know a few lines of dialogue <laughs> Bam, here." Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And and that is where the the disconnect I think is. The author has to sit down and write, and it is one action per panel mm-hmm. because this is not a movie. Yeah, so right. if you want him to pull his six guns roll and shoot that is three panels okay pulling them is an action rolling is an action and shooting is an action right so that is going to be three panels and that is what the author has to get across to and, you know, that's, that's an interesting thing because that's one of the revolutions that stan lee and jack kirby sure. brought to comic books is instead of doing three panels they would do one right. panel but two pages right and they would Somehow or another, with Kirby's skill, yes. get everything into that, and it. That again, that was another major uh, advancement for comic books. You're right. Jack Kirby is the one who made the big action in your face because a lot of times you look at some Almost of the older 3D. comics, from Red Rider to um, uh, the early Superman. They're just sort of standing here. Here we're talking, <laughs> and and Kirby made it huge. Okay, so I only can have one action, right? But I'm gonna bring it across two pages, and I'm gonna have Captain America, you know, stretching <laughs> out, and he's knocking out the Kaiser, and uh-huh. he's taking out Hitler in the uh-huh. back too, and he's just huge. And and you're right, it totally changed the way. It, yes, he it, was it, the king. It went from like watching a 13-inch television to going down and watching CinemaScope. Yeah, absolutely. That's okay. a wonderful way to put it. Let's get into cowboy comics. Cowboy comics, yes, um, sir. We, on the Voices of the West.net website, we have just started uh, uh, not showing, I guess, uh, old cowboy comics. Mm-hmm. You can down, you can read those on our website. Now we got Hoot Gibson, who else do I have up there? Uh, the Hopalong Cassidy, Straight Arrow, Straight Arrow, Straight Arrow yeah. Rocky yeah. Lane. I mean, these these are the old ones, and the with the resurgence, I guess there bit we can. You know, comics are ageless. Yeah, I mean, we we look at that, and now I, the the Hopalong Cassidy one. It, it's not. I'm a huge Hoppy fan, and I, I've seen. I have like. Five more movies to see before I've seen all sixty-six that he made. All right? <laughs> oh, woo. Uh, yeah, yeah. Woo. <laughs> He's an addict. Hop, hop <laughs> hardcore. Hop <laughs> hard, hop <laughs> hardcore. Hopaholic. I mean, yeah. Oh, very good. <laughs> Much better. Much better. <laughs> and uh, I mean, the radio plays the same thing. I've listened to all the radio plays for Hoppy. Yep. All right. So, I love Hoppy. 
Um, those comics are great. Yeah. And it's we were talking before airtime that uh, having the star on the pick on the cover. Yeah. Right. Is, is that's an important marketing yep. point, isn't it? Yeah. And and that, that's a good that's a good point. Um, yeah. We were. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, right before we we went on air, we were talking about how those the old comics. And I was telling him I have an Annie Oakley one, I have a Buffalo uh, Bill one, um, oh. and they actually used an actor, an actual person, and they took that photographic still image and they put that on there. Or they did the sort of the old school Photoshop and they cut that mm-hmm. image out and then they put other things mm-hmm. around them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was the the actual image and it makes them so unique and it's it's really really cool. And uh, and um, I'll go back to something David Morrell said yesterday too. He, he said when you have the physical comic, um, the the wonderful thing about that is the reveal. Page right, yeah. so you have you have this real picture mm-hmm. and the cover, and then you open it up, and a lot of times, especially with the western, it's almost right into an action mm-hmm. uh, sequence. You know, the, there's a the right attack the on the stagecoach yeah. or something. Yeah, just like and, a bee. And it's a wonderful reveal mm-hmm. for you, mm-hmm. um, and, and and works very similar like films yeah. that way. Yeah, so. they, they, they they resemble a B movie. Yeah, a serial, well, B serial. Yeah, let me kind of talk about how the importance of Fawcett and Dell comics. Okay, so Fawcett and Dell were two of the originals, and actually Stan Lee started, um, I believe, at Fawcett, and they were the ones. They ended up at right, Disney. and Key was the one uh, to, to me personally. Key had the best of the uh, Western comics. Um, I really liked a lot of a lot of those ones, but um, uh, yeah, they. They were the originals, and that was well before. I mean, DC was wrong, but that was well before Marvel. Everybody thinks, like, oh, yeah. Marvel mm-hmm. was the first. Yeah. It was not. Mm-hmm. Um, it it did not. Marvel yes, they were, and Marvel didn't come till later. They broke off of Fawcett and mm-hmm. and they restructured and took then created. The yeah, and then took the care and they restructured the whole thing and then restarted. And they were very low, really a low end. Um, Key and Fawcett, it's, and Fawcett especially was the big ones. They were the, the they were the the big movers and shakers of the day, and you're right. Comic books are very, it, it's cyclical, right? Like, you grew up with them, and then it changed, and then I grew up with them, and now you have a whole new generation, I think, who grows up a lot with the films, mm-hmm. um, because they're so popular. I mean, I think Hollywood would be in the toilet if they didn't have superheroes yeah, now <laughs> these days. Yeah, um, they'd, be, they'd be just flat out, mm-hmm. but, um, and kids pick it up, though, yeah. you know, in different ways. Like, when I was a kid, um, before before I got in, into collecting westerns, it was war comics. That's yeah. what I was in. Sergeant, Sergeant Rock. Rock. I liked Sergeant <laughs> Rock, and then and then I was a kid of the '80s, so I liked GI Joe. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, and then the Nam broke away from that, that as well, and those were all awesome those, yeah. I collected those. Those <laughs> were so good, and 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 so yeah, I was a big I was a big war comics guy, and then and then of course you kind of. They Drift cross away. over uh-huh. into the into the superheroes and things like that. But then, um, as I got older, and I would say probably in high school is when I started picking up uh, Western comics mm-hmm. because um, you know, in Buffalo Bill, I have a big collection of Buffalo Bill stuff. So, <laughs> so Buffalo Bill, dime novels, imagine that, and, and, and comics, <laughs> I love. Books. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and but yeah, the, and if I can get my hands on a dime novel of his from you know nineteen oh eight or nine last, something like that. Last month at the book sale at the book barn, I picked up a Gunsmoke Big Little. Oh, did you? Oh, that's cool. We, I I like him for the covers almost. Yeah. I mean, some of the stories are, are retold over and over in really yeah, different ways. But you, you can know? frame the cover. But man, the covers are awesome. I have a huge <laughs> cover from uh, nineteen oh eight that I uh, nineteen oh eight dime novel Buffalo Bill. And I blew it up huge, and it's hanging on my basement wall because that's the only place my wife would allow me to hang it. And it's got him on, on a horse rising up, and there's a skeleton coming out of a out of a cave, and it's shooting laser beams Ooh. out of his eyes. And yeah, and Ooh. it's 1908. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's 1908. People don't think, yeah. you know, they think the superhero thing was like maybe the 50s well, or 40s. Sounds you know? well. Yeah. Sounds like cute. sounds like the Phantom of the Empire. Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's an awesome <laughs> image. I was like, this is so cool. I gotta hang this. Right. I've got three Red Rider novels. Red Rider with awesome. Fred Graham. Yep. You know, page every, yep. every 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 ten pages an uh, illustration. Yep. Yeah, my father was a big Red Rider. He oh. loved Red Rider. Kellen, we, we could Kellen, we could do this forever. Yeah, let's do it. But we're yeah. going to we're going to break now. Okay. But we're going to have you on the show again. And talk about comics. And talk about comics. Okay. And Sounds only good. comics. And only comics. Only. All right. None of this wider garbage. <laughs> Wait, and, but it, I, I will say though, and uh, as a aside, I'm for, on my last, we just found out we're getting a sequel to Old West Showdown, oh, nice. and it's done so well that it's also going. Our original is going in paperback now, so very we've done well, very, very well. Very well. Yeah. Kellen well. so, Cutsworth, thank, so thank you, you so much for joining yeah, us. Yeah, this, appreciate it. This has been fun. We'll Great. be back. Well, howdy, Harry Alexander, Bunker de France at the 2019 Western Writers of America convention. This is day three. Right? Day, yeah. three. day three of a four-day... Like well, I know I, I've been here all week, I think. <laughs> Anywho, we are uh, appropriately in the prickly pear room because we're a bunch of prickly pears, I reckon. We could be pearly pickle. Oh, we could be doing that. Anyway, uh, we've got Robert Watt here uh, in, in the chair, and you are, sir, a... F- Photographer, correct? No, I'm a historian. I just oh. do the photography for fun. <laughs> I gotcha. So, and so yeah, I do. I do the Apache Wars. Apache Wars, and now you're not native to this country. The accent might give that away. I'm originally <laughs> Scottish. My my mum's from Yorkshire, but I am Scottish. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I got all into all this stuff watching the High Chaparral. Um, when I'm 53 now, that would be when I would about five or six. And uh, whenever my mum, who's a history teacher, saw me getting interested in stuff like that, some books would suddenly appear. Mm-hmm. So that's what got me into all this. Now, 40 years later, I've produced uh, something like six articles and five wow. books on the Apache Wars, partic- specifically looking at the US Army in New Mexico and the Victorio period. So mm-hmm. really 1876 to 1881. Now, we talked yesterday briefly, and you had mentioned that I, I think you had said it took you 19 years to get two years of experience on Exactly. I mean, I, I, I'm an academic. I, I work at a university, and the classic thing about academics is we know a lot about very little. <laughs> I have spent 19 years basically studying two years out of a pretty much 26-year war. Uh-huh. Um, having said that, Lots of stuff in that two-year period, a fascinating period. So, But, yes, I know a lot about very little here, um, <laughs> if I'm honest here. 
You speak about high chaparral. This guy was in 52 of them. Yeah, I, I, I picked that up from yesterday. As I say, I'm looking forward to getting out there this afternoon. Um, I was out there in 2006, but it is a kind of special mm-hmm. moment when you walk onto the high chaparral set because that's what basically built the... the well, let me the, ask you. Yeah, we're done. We're done with that, but we'll keep going on. Okay. Let me ask you. Yeah. You, you sound like a student of the high chaparral. Well, maybe. A viewer. Yeah. What did you, comparatively to other Western series, especially the ranch series like yeah. Bonanza, Lancer, yeah. Big Valley, yeah. how do you rate it? I would rate it top, and for several reasons. It's one of the first, and I wasn't aware of this in Britain as a kid, but my favourite character on there was Manolito Montoya. <laughs> and it was, what it did was it showed classic American values, um, you know, so Leif mm-hmm. Erickson mm-hmm. and um, a can't remember his name, a Uncle Buck, oh, uh, Cameron Mitchell. Mitchell. Yeah, yes. um, you know the the standard American values. But then you got Mexican values, mm-hmm. and then you got Apache values coming mm-hmm. through. And it was very good at showing you. It was very very good at showing how several different cultures are at play. And to me, I'd never come across that before. I can't think of anybody really doing that mm-hmm. before. Really unusual you know, in Westerners um, to give that mixture of cultures. Absolutely. And a strong female lead as well. Yes. Um, yes. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, I, I would rate it as the top one. And, I, you know, it's, it's interesting because you mentioned the female lead, but this is not a romantic relationship. This no. is an arranged relationship. Absolutely. Which Business. puts a whole different spin yeah. on you know, the traditional way of looking Absolutely. at it. Absolutely. You know, so just the complexity. On it. And what I quite liked was you have you have Apache villains and you have Apache heroes, you have Mexican villains mm. and heroes, and you have you have Anglo villains and mm-hmm. heroes throughout the whole series. And I think it really... I, I, that, in a sense, I think, did a heck of a lot for Hispanics in the U.S., particularly at the time. And, but, you know, that's important because people don't realise, you know, at that era, the majority of the population down in this area, which was you know, post gets and purchase, was mainly Hispanic. Absolutely. Yeah, the you population. Know, generational Hispanic. Yeah, the Tucson population in 1860, uh, 1865 was uh, <clears throat> perhaps 500. Yeah. And uh, maybe 50 of those were white people. Yeah, yeah. no, that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, I mean, I think Tucson is one of the oldest settlements in this area. It was it? established in 1776 yeah. by an Irishman. They get everywhere, Hugo like, like the Scots, <laughs> like the Scots. They get everywhere. Captain Hugo O'Connor. That's okay, it. okay. Yeah, I guess he was a mercenary for the Mexican army, or I don't well, know. Well, I tell you, the Irish and Scots acting as mercenaries for various powers. <laughs> you know, knock me over with a feather on that one. Um, hey, Let's get to your, your research that you've done. Um, two years, 1879 to 1881, but okay. we do the background going back probably to about 1860, but it's mainly the 1877 onwards period. Uh, yeah. So when Victoria's people are moved from their old Cayente uh, reservation, it really kicks in from there. What have you come away what, with uh, from this study uh, of this particular period, what's your takeaway? Oh, my takeaway um, would be that I think there's an assumption that we have properly studied the Old West, 
Um, when I first went over to Washington DC to do the archive work, I was worried that I was going over there for two weeks and it would be all trapped out. It was the absolute opposite. There was tons of stuff. I came back that July, August for a month just lifting stuff out of the archives. Um, it has shown me, I, you know, I, I love the old John Ford cavalry westerns and I still love them because they're great comedies. Mm. Because if you now know how the US Army operates, <laughs> it's just nothing like what John Ford is telling no, you. No. It's absolutely not. But the fact is just as fascinating. Yeah. The, the sheer logistical problems they had, you right. wonder how they managed to get out in the field at all. Um, and that, you know, that is, 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 that's from the US Army side. From the Apache point of view, um, the amount of times I was. Um, I was hearing Victoria was this great guerrilla leader, uh, but nobody would tell me why. Mm -hmm. And I ended up, this is why I did it, because I thought, well, I want to know, I'm interested in insurgencies and, and, and small wars. And the sheer sophistication of that guy's tactics, the targeting of horses, whether shooting them or running them into the ground, if you look at the stats and you can compare... Uh, you know, the US Army, they do a regimental return for the whole regiment once a month. Mm -hmm. Each company does a bi-monthly muster roll. They're recording the state of their horses in both. Mm -hmm. And I was able to match up when the 9th Cavalry are out against the Apaches, the horse losses spike. And they just spike every mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. So you can link up the horse mm -hmm. losses. Mm -hmm. But Victoria was also doing quite sophisticated decoy strategies, um, and also the two areas where he's beaten, he's, he's, he's beaten by the Mexicans at Tres Castillas, and he is rebuffed by Grierson's 10th Cavalry a couple of months earlier. In both cases, my research has shown that these were not easy victories for Grierson or Terrazas. Mm -hmm. um, they were actually very lucky to come out on top. And mm. Victoria, was, Victoria came in within an ace of outrunning pursuers before he got caught at, hmm. at, 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 at Tres Castillas. And it was only because Terrazas thought, well, that trail was going that way. Where could they be going? Could they be circling back? I'll go and have a look over there. If he'd stayed on the trail, he would never have caught them. You know, there's an interesting thing. Yeah, yeah. It's not talked about with the Apache. Is you always talk about the warlike nature and the raiding. Well, the reality is that they were, they were sort of subsistence. Oh, yeah. They would go out, they would raid. But they preferred to steal the horses than kill the people absolutely. because if they stole the horses, they'd get more horses and they yep. could come back in six months and, the, and do it again. Absolutely. And, the, and there's even, there's even uh, a report I came across about how a Mexican hacienda was raided and the, the, the um, uh, vaqueros pursued the Apaches and they got the horses back, but they made a point of trying not to kill any of the Apaches because mm. if they knew they killed an Apache, they would be back and they wouldn't be back to steal more yeah. horses. They'd be back to kill people in retaliation. Yep. So they actually tried. Now, I know they all. I know there's a lot of atrocities going on there, but that showed me there was an understanding between the two. I call it a trade-hate relationship between the Mexicans and the Apaches. It's a very, very complex, mm -hmm. complex relationship. Was, you know, when they raided against like that, it was a revenge raid, not... Not Absolutely. Let's go out and kill some white guys. So, I mean, the Patches have got a, a, a term for taking property from, a, from an enemy and taking life from an enemy, mm -hmm. and they separated raiding as an activity from warfare, though obviously the, the two could interlink, but... That was kind of like, it's like with the Plains Inge, it was a form of counting coup. You find out all the way from the East Coast Indians mm -hmm. that yeah. it was honourable 
to go in and sneak into your mm -hmm. opponent's village, yeah. camp, town, take something of theirs, and go back. Then you yeah. had bragging rights. That's right. Yeah. 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 Well, with all the again, with all the research you have done, and I, you enjoy watching westerns. Yeah. Yeah. Most historically accurate western you have seen. Alzheimer's Raid. Without a shadow. Without a question. Without a question. Mm. Without a question, Alzheimer's Raid. Um, simply because when I first watched it as a teenager, I thought, well, that's not what I was expecting. It wasn't, quite, it wasn't very exciting, was it? Once I actually started studying how the Apaches think, you know, people like Opler's book, you know, uh, yeah, Chiricau, Apache, Le 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 Lifeway, all these books, I then watched it again and suddenly realised that the guy who had written the script there knew exactly what he was talking about. Now, it isn't 100% accurate. There are things in there think, no, the Apaches wouldn't have done that. Yeah. Um, but you have to balance up accuracy sure. with a film that's going to entertain people. Exactly. But I would say Osana's Raid is about 90 95% accurate. Wow. The only thing missing to me is that Burt Lancaster did a directorial cut that was released in Europe, and Robert Aldrich, I think, was director, um, did a cut that was released in America. Now, the American cut, as it stands, is the best one, but there's about five scenes in the European Lancaster cut if they could take that out, stick it, in, <laughs> stick it into the other one, you'd have an even better movie. Well, you know, one of the things, too, about Ozana's Raid, and it's, it's the same thing that they do in every movie with Apaches, John Ford did it. The Apaches fought more on foot. Oh, absolutely. You know, they, you know, absolutely. The were, there was no circling the wagon. I couldn't agree more with you. And the thing is about, about, about Ozana's Raid as well, they actually show you them targeting the horses first and then the people. Well, yeah, that makes sense absolutely. If, if, absolutely. if you're engaging guerrilla warfare. Absolutely. I mean, good grief. <laughs> I mean, if you understand how Apaches fight, they have a bottom line. So say they're being pursued and they need to stop you, yeah. okay? Now, they'll set up an ambush. Now, it's not just an ambush that's good cover. There's good escape routes. Yeah. I, I think, and I'm, I may have the title wrong, it was a Robert Taylor picture. I think it was called Ambush with the Apaches. Charlie Chevens plays the Apache leader. And if you haven't seen it, try to find it because it has, you know, they, they set up at a ambush for the cavalry. The Is classic, the one they, that, dig, they dig, they dig, they dig. Was that the one where you see the cavalry coming from the canyons the and they're burning? Yes, I've seen that. That is that. It's not a brilliant Western overall, but that single scene, you know, if you were to do a yeah. sort of, you know, a, a, a media version of how to teach Apache tactics, that scene would be in there because they're right on top of them, up they pop. Yeah. And you, you know, you would think, oh, <laughs> you know. That's the way it was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. So, in your home country, the response to what you research, is it, I mean, do other people think, what is this guy go, uh, up to? Why doesn't he stick I, with I have, something? I, I have a range of, I, I think I'm looked at with some puzzlement by my <laughs> colleagues, <laughs> because I'm not in a history department, I'm in a political science department, uh -huh. so I, uh, I teach American domestic politics to the, the undergraduates, mm -hmm. but I research in the American Indian Wars, mm -hmm. and I used to teach a module in American Indian Wars to the history department, yeah. and it was based around European regulars going up against mm -hmm. Native Americans or American Indians, and showing that actually they had to adapt 
to the American Indian way of fighting. So I do the last Mekins period, so the British versus the, the American Indians, particularly the um, Great Lakes um, mm-hmm, campaign mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. 1763. I then do the old the war for the Old Northwest, so one of the biggest defeats ever inflicted on the US Army. Everybody thinks it's Custer. No. It's not. It's St. Clair. Yeah. Um, and then I do the Plains Indians, and then I do the Apaches sort of thing. Um, and I think... I think I've got people who absolutely say, just go for it. You get in this public, just get on with it. I've got other people saying, you're in a politics department. This isn't politics. If you actually read my stuff, yes. the politics is there. Yeah. It is definitely there. Every, but, everything is but politics. It's, it's, it, it, but it, it, to be fair, I, 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 no problems with this. It isn't the political science that mm-hmm. the department is focusing on. So I get that. Um, I get some people saying, well, that's just cowboys and Indians, and it's not a serious area of topic. I've got other people I've got other people who say, this is fascinating. I, I, I get a real mixed bag on this one. Mm. Um, I have a digression for you. I'll go for it. Okay. I'm good at digressions. You, I love digressions. I, I really like your knowledge. Um, are you how, how up to school are you on the East Coast Indians like the Poetan? I know I, I know the basics, but I, I, I haven't gone into any John Cherokee and Poetan of heritage okay. past. But what's so neat, what just uh, tickles me to death is uh, the early British settlements in Virginia, they, the Poetan, kicked the British's butt yep. over and over and over, and the British sued for peace. Mm-hmm. And I think that just tickles me to death. I think a lot of it, has and this is my opinion that uh, the reasons there were so many upsets is because the, the, in Europe um, and, and the American army developed it as well the the uh, standards of, of battle uh, uh, and it in Europe it's pretty cut and dry how how, how you yeah how you do it yeah. and the Indians are going. What? Well, the, same, oh, the same thing happened absolutely. in the thirteen colonies with the you, British exactly. you know, fighting the Americans. Exactly. They, they were. They said, "Well, we're going to fight like the Indians and, fought because they kicked our butts." And this and, is the way to fight. And why American military leaders did not, or would not, or refused to pick uh, up on that? Well, some is a good Virginia. question. Some did. I would. I would certainly argue uh, uh, George Crook. And the Apache Wars, yes, sir. he yes, is absolutely sir. outstanding because yes, he understood that this he is did. not a European war. That's right. But I tell you who the best one is, from just all-round understanding, I would put a vote in, and it's not for the Apache Wars, it's for um, Anthony Wayne. If you look at the Legion of the American... Um, Legion of the United States, I think it was called... He had the right idea of the um, the esprit de corps. Mm-hmm. He understood he had to have intelligence out there, and it wasn't just you know knowing the land; it was also knowing the people. Yeah, but- he also knew militia, unless they're frontier trained, do not use, and he totally understood logistics Roger and it's logistics like yeah exactly exactly. Yeah. exactly. So I would put in a vote for um, certainly put in a vote that those people who made the effort. To understand their opponents, were the American Indians' most dangerous opponents? I agree, no um, question about that. But they were far and few between. I think. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you either had people like George Crook, quite high up in the Apache Wars. The ones that understood the Apaches the most were 
often fresh out. I mean, Gatewood is only, I think, a couple of years out of West Point before he's out yeah. months upon months after Victoria. Right. You've got Walter Finlay, who actually wrote some nice letters, giving us some detail we didn't have. He graduated that summer, and that October he's involved in a, a, in mm-hmm. a moonlight battle in Mexico where they shouldn't be you know you know but it's often the junior lieutenants or, or junior yes. captains so yes. you've got people like Crawford you've got people yes. like Bloxham Gatewood yeah. um, I oh well, Dr. Leonard Wood also you know yeah. the book arrived is and it's it, I don't think anybody's done it they touched on it but it's the politics of the Spanish government and the Mexican government towards the Apache. Uh, no, I, I mean, you talk about betrayals there, there, there and double is, crosses. It's not quite what you're talking about, but um, a colleague of mine, uh, Lance Blythe, have you come across him? No. no. He, you, might, you might have seen the book. It's called um, Chiricahua and Hanos. Hmm. Now, he's done quite an in-depth detailing of the relationship between effectively the small government of Hanos mm-hmm. and the Chiricahuas. Hmm. Uh, it's an outstanding book. So if, if you're interested in that, yeah. I would really, I'd really plug that. Um, it's it's a it's a fascinating book, and I'm sh- I'm sure if you if you just put in Hanos and Chiricahua into yeah, Google, they, you'll get it. They're, they're, it was based on a tribute. Oh yeah. And but the Spaniards every once in a while, you know, the Apaches would come in. There'd be a festival, you know, because there's always a Catholic festival in yeah, Mexico right. somewhere, <laughs> and they would they would think there would be a local group of Apache down in the area, and they'd invite them in, get them wasted drunk, and then poison them. Sure. So, I mean, for instance, you, you've got, and on the legacy of that, Victoria himself said, if we're ever trading down in Mexico, nobody drinks. Absolutely nobody drinks. Now, you're never an absolute ruler in Apache mm-hmm. society, right. but people listen to them. Um, uh, Ho, the Nedney leader, um, was a bit more prone to be caught with this, but even he was saying, if we're going in, it's almost like the designated driver. Mm-hmm. You guys drink, you guys don't. The next day, it's your turn to drink and your turn to keep yeah. an eye on everything. So the Apaches are very aware of this, but you know, you cannot keep your guard up for a hundred percent of the time. And the one thing about uh, the one thing about the Apache Wars is, if there's if there's high casualties, it's because one side or the other side have got the drop, mm-hmm. and there's just there's no mercy. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely no mercy there. Like an Elzana's ring. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, so I. I I just find it a fascinating. I can bore for Britain on this topic, um, but I just find it absolutely fascinating. And the more I dig in, the more I find. Well, and you, oh wow, you know. You know now, there's there's another interesting area where uh, it's kind of an area of confusion to a lot of people, and that's the Plains Apache, like the Mescalero, the Kiowa yeah. Apache, yeah. and the Western Apache, because the Plains Apache were horseback. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a. I mean, if, if you think about it, I think, if I remember right, the Kiowa Apache are effectively the remnants of defeated Plains mm-hmm. Apaches who, who, event, who, made a, who joined with, yeah. you know, if you can't beat them, join, join them. them. Yeah. Um, I think with the Mescalero, um, I mean, there's, whole, there's loads of rumours about lots of Comanches joining um, Victoria. Mm-hmm. 
it, it, there might have been one or two, and a big might. But then if you see photographs of, uh, there's a, quite a famous photograph of Mescalero scouts from about 1883, 84, they're all in braids. Mm -hmm. So the army people have seen Mescalero mm -hmm. allies mm -hmm. of Victoria and thought, oh, they're Comanches, mm -hmm. because there's and a much more Plains yeah. Indian influence on these people. Um, I... I focus on particular Chiricahua Apaches, and uh, they are a completely kettle of fish from even even the Plains Apaches. It's a completely different way of fighting. In in your research, have you found any outside of General Crook any other American military leaders that uh, really took the effort to understand who they were fighting and how they might counter who they were fighting? Certainly, I'd say it's a mixed bag. So um, Colonel Hatch, who's commander of the 9th Cavalry at the time, but also commander of the district of New Mexico, so the sort of administrative area, mm -hmm. he understood the need for Apache scouts. Um, but he didn't get just what he was up against. He didn't quite have the full idea. Um, his, his subordinate, a guy called Major Albert Payson Morrow, again, a very good, very dogged in the field, but not realising that the, the, that the Apaches are wanting him to do this mm -hmm. because it's knocking the men out, because the men are losing their horses, and then they're having, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're having to walk. Six weeks later, half of them are in, you know, in needing medical attention. Um, but, you know, I'm trying to think. Grierson... Grierson kind of got what Victoria was up to because one of the, the reason he won, and, and, and the standard story is that Grierson had a much smaller area to picket, and he picketed the the passes and the water holes. If you actually look into the primary record, yes, he did that, and that was part of the strategy. But the key thing was he set up a line of communication by couriers with his Mexican counterpart, and his Mexican counterpart put him on to where Victoria's second group was uh -huh. before the first group uh -huh. grabbed his attention. So what Victoria would be doing was a good chunk of the young warriors, uh, probably him, would go to point A, which was probably 40, 50 miles away from when he wants to get his dependents, uh -huh. his loot, uh -huh. and the warriors uh -huh. guarding that across. He does that successfully. Um, earlier on in New Mexico, he tries it against Grierson by pure luck because he's set up a courier system, the Mexicans put him on to the second group mm. before the first group can grab his attention. So he's <laughs> see, he's looking at what the first group then try with him, but constantly going back to Eagle Springs because it's covering the broad area mm -hmm. with the second group because mm -hmm. he already knows where they are. And what he did was he said, I am not going to get pulled into pursuing Victoria because all I'll do is lose a load of horses. And what he tried to do, that's the other thing, he, he, and he said this before the campaign started. I've got the telegrams. He's absolutely explicit before this campaign. It's to be firm, he's not coming in and after the event saying, well, I thought that one up. Uh -huh. yeah, he yeah. was saying before this happened, I am not doing this. So the whole point about him getting round and ahead, when they do outmaneuver him and getting round ahead of that 65-mile sort of 24-hour march, it's because, well, I could follow them, but all they'll do is do a rear guard action, mm -hmm, keep mm -hmm. me off, keep me off, I'll try and get ahead of them. And that's what wins it. 
Mm. So it's not just the picking of the water holes, it's being flexible enough to get your forces moving quickly once you know what's happening. No, a heliograph is later. What he did do, and this is the thing I didn't, I hadn't really picked up on, is that actually the first mobile telegraph um, units were being used in the Victoria campaign. So the 6th Cavalry in, in, in oh, April 1880, there's a detachment is ambushed by Victoria's thinks it's Victoria's son, a place called uh, oh god, I'm, I'm getting old here. I think it's Ash Canyon. Um, it's in April 1880 but they have a, a telegraph operator with a mobile telegraph mm-hmm. unit that you can just hook it, you climb the pole, hook it in, uh, and Grierson's got two of these guys with him in his campaign as well. So you, it's almost the first example of mobile, mobile yeah, yeah, electronic yeah, yeah. communication actually coming out, uh, coming into to play here. Is it any use? No, because the Apaches are still moving way too fast for them to fact. Even, even using the telegraph. It, they're still too fast for them. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Rob, Robert, you are a fascinating individual. Yeah, I mean, I want to have you on the show yeah. uh, from from Scotland. Okay, I'm, I'm well, I mean, for an hour. from Birmingham. I, I, or Birmingham, I moved wherever. to Birmingham in 1995. Okay. And I, I, I love the place. It's, 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 uh, people were telling me that it's the worst place in England to move to and I went there thinking oh my god what am I letting myself <laughs> in for and it's a great place you know, it's an absolutely you, brilliant place I but uh, drop me an email and I'm sure we can yeah. you, might, you might need somebody on my side technically aware to set this stuff up because I'm, I'm a oh, it's it's just by this. phone okay fair enough <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know if this is in your area of expertise but it's one of the areas I have a great deal of interest in and that's the English boys, the all the well, the second sons that came over to America after the Great Blizzard in the 1880s and established some, some of the big cattle empires. I have to admit, I have not even heard of that. So that's oh, you learn busy. something new every I've day. I've the book, but it's it's a history of these. Uh, these guys, you know, you go up to like the Johnson County War. Yeah. Uh, that war wasn't about what most people talk about. It was about absentee landlords. Yeah. And. Immigrants. Yep. That was the whole. Yeah, yeah. This is Robert Watt, and you're listening to Voices of the West. I enjoy. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzik's Voices of the West. Thank you.